Are you out of your corn-fed mind? You're not actually going to listen to this guy. He killed Pike. He almost killed you. And now you think it's a good idea to pop open a torpedo because he dared you to. Why did he save our lives, Bones? The doctor does have a point, Captain. Don't agree with me, Spock. It makes me very uncomfortable. Perhaps you too should learn to govern your emotions, Doctor. In this situation, logic dictates that we have... My God, there's a maniac trying to make us blow up our own goddamn ship. That's and you're not talking it. about... I don't know why he surrendered, but that's not it. Look, we're going to open a torpedo. The question is how. But Jim, without Mr. Scott on board, who exactly is qualified to just pop open a four-ton stick of dynamite? The Admiral's daughter appeared to have interest in the torpedoes, and she is a weapons specialist. Perhaps she could be of some use. What Admiral's daughter? Carol Marcus. Your new science officer concealed her identity to board the ship. When were you going to tell me that? When it became relevant, as it just did. All right, everyone, welcome back to Gundam at MHQ. This is one of your hosts, Neo, and uh, joining me always is a certain guy. You might have known him, Capcom's own. <laughs> so, bro, how are you? So, bro. How you doing, right, sir? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm May doing the good. JoJo be with you. May the JoJo be with me, man. I'm fresh from the exhausting uh, the trials of uh, watching Evo 2014, and it is a brand new week. Man, I feel good. Everybody who I wanted to win one. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a chance to check out anything on that. How are the streams? I'm, I'm talking like the quality. Uh, have they gotten better than like a couple years ago when they were like Ooh. crapping out all the time? Yeah, you remember watching uh, uh, 2009 because oh, yeah, the first the first Evo I ever watched was the one we called you about, which was 2009. We all watched it at the same time. It has jumped leaps and bounds since then. Um, Teen Spooky and uh, and uh, I Play Winner did a really good job with producing the streams, and the quality was great. Um, so much so that in order to watch the HD streams, you had to. Um, buy a $12 uh, subscription for the weekend. The money goes towards uh, the uh, NYU yeah, Game College. That's 12 bucks. That's 12 bucks, though. That's, that's not bad. That's not bad. Plus, you get to watch the archives. So, And there was a lot of stuff that you couldn't even possibly watch because there was uh, so much going on that weekend so that you can go back and take your time going through all the things you missed. So, hey, that's, um, that's the new business model. And, I, and the more that I look at it, I think that the freemium business model works as long as the fees are within reason yeah i think something like that actually uh works because wow 12 bucks to watch hd feeds unlimited of evo as opposed to what buying a plane ticket trying to find a a hotel and you know and sometimes watching it's better than being there (laughs) in in a way (laughs) in some ways there was a lot of stuff that happened off stream uh sadly so there's things we missed that we're catching up on 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 people's cameras which is fine it's just what happens nothing will ever change the experience of going but if you're looking if you're looking at for the the idea of watching the sport yeah watching the competition Mm -hmm. um you know it's just some things are better than others i mean it's like um you know, it's like sports. Like, I hate watching baseball on TV, but if somebody says, hey, let's go to an uh, Angels game or something like that, or like when I went to Boston, Fenway Park, I was like, frick, it's always so much better, yeah. you know? So, but okay, that's cool. I was just kind of wondering. 
That's cool. With, um, I mean, I experienced the quality. Op- I experienced the opposite of that when when show and the rest of us went to uh, CEO a couple weeks ago, where we were there in person and we missed so much that was on stream. So I, I, I this yeah. this, this pro- you're gonna miss something. You can't see everything. <laughs> yeah, there's pros and cons to both sides of the yeah. equation, man. You're not gonna see everything, no matter how hard you try, no matter what viewpoint. All I know is the money that I I spent on the subscription went towards uh. Uh, a charity, so I think that was really cool that they did that, and um, it was an Someone's enjoyable time. Pocket. <laughs> but back I'm to buy, you. I'm buying cigarettes and beer with it. There you <laughs> go. There you go. <laughs> the cigarettes charity. <laughs> the cigarettes, yeah. The the vapor charity. Indeed. The vaping. Yeah. All the vapes. but. Um, <laughs> this is uh, episode 147 of Gundam and MHQ, and and uh, gosh, we've we've broken our uh, summertime promise. We're actually going to give you two segments in this one. What? Yes, two segments. Instead of one two-hour segment that we had last up, <laughs> instead of one two-hour segment, we're going to give you two one-hour segments. Oh, I think possibly, almost, somewhat, almost, somewhat. Mm-hmm. But what makes these segments even better is mm-hmm. not only the fact of we're breaking our own rules and giving you uh, two instead of one, but we've flown in a mystery guest. Who could it be? Who, who's going to join us on the following topics? Of course, it's summertime, mm-hmm. summertime 2014. What have we been waiting for for the last year and a half? The viewing, the official viewing of Sir Michael Bay's magnum opus, Transformers, Age of Extinction of All Childhoods. And yes, the childhoods had disappeared during this. So we'll be going through our thoughts, the highlights, the lowlights, our ratings, um, some of the explosions. Um, you know, so yes, it's, it's definitely something you're going to want to stay tuned for. And like we said, we have a special guest that we flew in. We actually blew the budget on this one. We did. And, and we blew it so much that we're like, you know what, person, can you stay for one more segment? <laughs> And that person said, sure, what segment would that be? And they're like, have you ever heard of something called Gundam The Origin Volume 7? Yes. We're finally going to, you know, it's been on that three-month cycle. We got it. And uh, we're going to be talking once again some some of the storylines, some of the things that we're seeing, our expectations, highlights, lowlights, uh, ratings. So everything under the sun with that so uh thank you and uh i just want to let everybody know that i was at, when i was at anime expo a couple of weeks ago i actually spoke to ed chavez from vertical Ooh. and he's very uh excited about um you know the response that uh, that the gun the origins getting and um you know one of the things that he told me is you know they've actually had to do some more printings on some of these volumes and he just says you know hey you just want to make sure that uh, you you get these things as quickly as possible because it seems like they're going pretty quick. So uh, that's some definite good stuff there. So, but um, Soulbro, mm-hmm. anything before we go into as I'm sauntering over to the Larry King Memorial News Studio in the Gundam News Tower? Um, I'm Any, ex- anything that you need to go over? Oh, I'm I'm excited for the news, man. Go for it. Oh, and it's it's action-packed, and there is a plethora of stories. Now from the Lord Larry King Memorial News Studio. You are the king! You are the king! And the Gundam News Tower. This 
is some Neos <laughs> listener submitted news articles. And of course, if you ever have any news articles, you can always submit them to the Neos listener submitted news articles thread in the Gundam section of the Mecha Talk forum. Oh, and the first one here comes from. Haven't heard from him in a while, but this is uh, old Pedal Bear North, old Destiny Gundam. And he's got a link here to the Anime News Network talking about the new Gundam San anime that's uh, debuted. I think they're pro- they're what, about episode two right now. And yes. I haven't had a chance to check it out, Soul Bro, but quickly, uh, uh, is, is this something you definitely want to check out? Yes. Uh, if you're a longtime uh, Mobile Suit Gundam fan, it is a show that definitely takes the piss out of Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, the characters, of course, are super deformed, but there's a lot of in-jokes and a lot of jokes that uh, kind of allude to later events in the Gundam series as well. It's, it's a funny show, and uh, it hits you hard and fast. The first episode is about uh, Shar and Lala, and I heard the second oh, no, episode... No, yeah, don't give away too much. Oh, no, I, 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 that's all, that's all I'll, I'll let people know. And then, uh, of course, uh, other characters show up in the next episode, but um, I, I found it hilarious and um, it's only two and a half minutes, so it's not. Uh, the episodes are not very long. Um, definitely check it out when you have time. Sounds great. Well, thank you, Mister Destiny Gundam, for your submission. Ooh, the next one here comes from EA Net Dude. Oh. And wow, this has been talked about and speculated for a while, but this is coming from the Collider, and it's been confirmed that Pacific Rim Two, yes, Pacific Rim Two, has a release date set for April seventh of two thousand seventeen. Yo, man, which is which is kind of nice because they're giving themselves a little time. Mm-hmm. And additionally, Guillermo del Toro is returning to direct, so uh, I'm I'm sure the 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 little bit further out release date is probably because of some of the other things that he has on his. Uh, his docket, so and and of course, and I think he's going to be doing some of the writing with uh, yeah with this, just like he did in the other ones. Yes, so that, he, so. he, he's teamed up with Zach Penn. Um, matter of fact, the word broke out that he was working on the script with him a couple months ago, but it wasn't confirmed if he was going to be directing the movie. Um, he actually had on a slate that he was going to be working on a take on Beauty and the Beast, and um, that all fell through a couple weeks ago. And then, lo and behold, in the wake of that, he announces that he's going to be doing Pacific Rim too. So uh, direct it producing it and helping to write it so kudos to uh to to billy the bull man i am so excited for this it's going to be a couple years out but what the way i look at it is when the news pacific for pacific rim dropped it was like 20 oh 2009 and we waited about three years to see the first one so it's just another another wait that we have to go through so we'll we'll we'll, we'll see it we'll see it inevitably and i'm looking forward to it well you know, with Pacific Rim two, that means that there will be the inevitable sequel of Atlantic Rim. The uh, <laughs> it's uh, somewhat oh, uh, no. uh, horrific and terrible <laughs> parody. <laughs> what? Oh my god! What's the name of that group? The Asylum? Oh, I think so. Good yeah, lord, yeah. man! They just think you can't stop. Or them. or or the people that trick grandmas into buying stuff at Walmart. So <laughs> Oh, here's that Atlantic Rim you were talking about. No, Mom, it was Pacific Rim. Oh, the, the, all I know is they, they already got an instant classic with Sharknado, the second one. 
I, 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 you know what? I, I'd never seen that. I just saw some uh, uh, clips of it. Mm-hmm. It looks so stupid. Oh. And I, I'll watch some dumb crap, but mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't, I don't know about this. Oh my god! I, I have to be rip roaring drunk to check that show, that movie oh, out. Jeez, <laughs> it sounded stupid. But thank you, Mister EA Net dude, for your submission. Ooh, oh, the first submission from an evil Australian, and of course, it's always Vent Noir. He's always the first on attack. So. Uh, if if we could confirm that Vent Noir is a part of the human resistance, he may be good to have mm-hmm. to keep uh, to, to keep Australia free of the robos. So, uh, but yes, the first one he has, he's got a link here talking about, um, and this is probably something we're going to start seeing a lot now. Um, now Netflix is uh, debuting its first original anime series, Knights of Sidonia. So. Oh. Uh, it's a 12 episode space drama. It takes place in a disopo- dystopian future. Mm-hmm. Is there any other future besides a dystopian one? Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, it's the first Netflix anime series. It's based on a popular manga series of the same name. Follows Negate, a, a low born youth in a society of genetically engineered refugees who escaped the destruction of Earth 1,000 years earlier and now occupy the massive ship Sidonia. When Negate's talents as a pilot is revealed, he becomes one of Sidonia's. Elite defenders against the guana, shape-shifting aliens bent on eliminating humans from existence. So, um, mm. hey, it's it's on Netflix, so you know how they do things. Just, hey, here's the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, spoilers for anybody who read uh, Gundam The Origin 6. Uh, the advertisement for Knights of Sidonia is right at the back of the book. I didn't realize that Vertical was printing the manga version here in the States. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, it makes me want to not only check out the show, but if I like the show, I'll check out the manga too. If you like the show, you'll check out the manga too. Why not? Why not? Of uh, the full Monty, the full Monty, <laughs> <laughs> all of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Netflix. I guess. Hey, uh, this is. I guess the new model now when it comes to this. It, but you know what? It kind. It, it definitely makes uh, sense for anime for this to really work. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think that might be a, a more viable option there. Well, so, a but. lot of people are getting exposed to anime thanks to Netflix, man. It's a, it's pretty amazing the amount of anime that's available on there now. You know, it's a lot more than what we had when we were coming up as kids, and a whole generation might come up with watching all sorts of shows through on demand. So, uh, it's nice to see uh, projects like this get the green light and uh, make their way onto Netflix, man. I, I hope. Uh, Open. But all kids, but all kids should experience butcher Japanese animation. Of course, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the only way to enjoy it. <laughs> so, but thank you, Mister Vent Noir, and he follows up with a uh, an article here from Crunchyroll, and mm-hmm. this is this kind of segues to what your comments you just talked about, Uh-oh. Soul Bro. Uh, Toonami's uh, second quarter 2014 ratings have increased uh, for their Saturday night uh, block. So, but it's hard not to when you got shows like this, Naruto, One Piece, Blue Exorcist, uh, Black Lagoon, Beware the Batman. (laughs) So (laughs) they have some pretty good stuff. Um, And Attack on Titan as of recently as well. Attack on Titan. I think they got Space Dandy on there too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, they, they, they've got quite a, quite a few things. So, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely some good stuff. So thank you, Mr. Vent Noir. For your submission, next one here comes from Rodimus76, and this is uh, from the Geek Tyrant, and there's Guillermo del Toro had released some uh, details about Pacific Rim 2. And uh, this is, I'm just going to read what he said, and that's about it here. It says, we're three ways away, so so to spoil, so to spoil anything would be fantastically silly of me. What he can tell you is Zach Penn and I are really into it. They started 
um, with uh, the screenwriter about a year and a half ago, kicking ideas before, and they kept kicking ideas and turned out the first movie on the ear. So uh, it looks like they're going to be doing a comic book, and uh, they're going to be um, talking about some uh, things dealing with the drift. Mm-hmm. and uh, talking about how a portal ripped a hole in the fabric of our universe and the tools they're using. So it uh, looks like they're going to be d- uh, going a little bit more on some of the drift stuff and all that. So, um, yeah, you know, hey. Did, um, does, uh, does it mention anything about the animated series he's working on as well? Uh, let's see here. It doesn't say too, too much. They talk about the graphic novel Tales from Year Zero. I'd never seen that, but I've heard that it's, uh, it's pretty okay. Well, um, the, the plan that I, I remember, uh, hearing about. Well, hold on, Solbro, because oh. we might have other, we might oh, have other right, news. Right. If so. we don't, then I will expand. Right yes, then. Then, you, then you'll continue to spoil it. So Indeed. thank Indeed. you. Mr. Rodimus76 for your submission. <laughs> oh, wow. This is, this is one up for, uh, and up for you, uh, Soul Bro. What's up? And this is from a, I've never seen this poster before, Ronin0510. Yo. And he has a link here to Kotaku. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Harmony Gold is going to bring back some Robotech via Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you excited? Man, uh, that they're that, asking uh, for a half a million dollars to uh, produce a 22-minute pilot episode for Robotech Academy. What little I know of it is, uh, well, no, I'm gonna, I'm oh, gonna, oh, I'm go maybe ahead. fill you in on this. Please do, please do. And uh, they they sat in with the series acting director Tommy Yoon. Does does he do anything? I mean, he must that must be he must have a lot of free time on his hands. <laughs> now, <laughs> oh shit! Uh, Robotech Academy <laughs> takes place near the end of the second generation of Robotech. In the time and setting of the aborted TV series Robot, Robotech 2, The Sentinels, mm-hmm. um, he said, won't be following the Sentinel storyline nor the first generation characters, probably because of legal reasons, because they said the, the story of The Sentinels has been played out in the novels and the comic books. So what Robotech Academy is going to do, it's going to follow the children of the original generation of the heroes, of course, the best and brightest humanity has to offer as they attend the Robotech Academy, located far from the front. But the future of the Robotech Expeditionary Force all gathered in one place, the Academy turns out to be an inviting target, especially once the Academy ends up trapped deep in space, far from where it's supposed to be. So mm. it just sounds like a mishmash of crap. So, uh, Solbro, uh, your, um, your, 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 your excitement is building for this, right? Um, I, huh? I, <sighs> Solbro, it's, it's, are a, there? it's a bit complicated. Um, I don't know. The appeal of them doing a, a, a series based on cadets being trained for something when there's so much more going on outside of that academy or whatnot. I heard the uh, role. Wait a second. This is this is. They're not only just cadets. They're the children of the original cast, the oh. first generation. I mean, come on. That's 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 got to be worth something, right? You know, what was wild. Is I saw Chris post up something on um on Facebook. Uh, where they stated, uh, where Worker Harmony Gold said that they, they've been working hard to keep the Macross license alive in the United States for the last 30 years. And it's like, really? Because last I checked, we can't get any new Macross series over here thanks to you guys. So, you know, they were trying to sell the, um, people to, 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 to support their Kickstarter because they've been supporting, quote unquote, supporting Macross for over 30 years. And it's like, no. You have been a hindrance to the to the franchise. You have you are making. Uh, granted, I'm, I'm fine with new Robotech joints being created, but I'm not going to support this if it means that you're going to suppress 
any new Macross coming out here because Robotech led me to become a Macross fan. Well, not fan. any new Macross, any Macross. And any Macross series, period. Like the Outside series- of just the first Macross. Yeah, because you... Because Harmony Gold has stayed having their foot on the throat of Macross outside of Japan for quite some time, and it sickens me, and I'm tired of it. And I, as much as I love Robotech, and I attribute it to to helping to define my tastes as an anime fan, um, you know, from seeing it at the age of eight back in 1985, you know, at the same time, I can't support something like this because of how the company has acted since then. So it's cool that they want to get something out Robotech related, but after seeing this, uh, what was it? What was it? The Shadow Chronicles? And, and how that played out, I don't know about this. I don't think it's going to be good. And I think that it, it's the same minds behind Shadow Chronicles that are going to be working on this. So as far as I'm concerned, that's already a, a tainted bunch. I, I, I don't think they could do something that's going to, you know, make me have affinity for it. So I'll check it out if it ever gets produced just to see how it is. I mean, I'm not opposed to seeing it, but right now I don't have a lot of faith in it. So, uh, to be continued. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Oh, um, so, yes, thank you, Mr. Ronin0510 for your submission. And the last one of the regular news is coming from PK Comics, and this comes from the Gundam Guy blog. And if you go to the Gundam Cafe, they have the G Gundam beer combo. Yes. Oh. Uh, for the Shuffle Alliance. Yes. They what? <laughs> Sintal <laughs> uh, beer, Cronenberg, uh, Centauri, Budweiser, and I can't recognize this has got to be a um there's not a translation on here for me so it's got to be a russian beer so yes the uh and it's actually kind of cool because if you look at it it's got a little placard and it shows all the beers so it's uh 630 yen so that's what about like about like 60 bucks 60 bucks or something like that the g gundam beer combo so basically they're pretty much the beers are reflective of the nations that the 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 five pilots come from that's crazy look at this man shout but but they should but budweiser though budweiser's belgium now so Mm -hmm. it's owned by belgian so i think that should really uh be like sam adams (laughs) because it's actually american beer now so basically i i need to go to abc and pick up one each one of these beers no well you could do that yeah your your poor man's version Oh, of course, of course. I mean, what, how, what am I going to do? Fly out to the Gundam Cafe <laughs> to, to get something for six hundred and thirty yen? Yes. Oh man, oh man, dude, that's crazy. That's crazy. I, I, I like this. I hope uh, Fred is listening because I know he's already on his way to ABC to make the G Gundam beer combo a reality. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, thank you for that. And uh, Soul Bro, mm-hmm. it's that. It's that time. Oh no! It is already. Yes. Oh. It's- Is Neo so robophobic? Robo apocalypse news. Oh my god. Oh, Jesus. And this is some disturbing stuff. The first one here comes from Poster Project 5. And he's got a link here from the Daily Mail that's in a place called Britain. And yes. And this is coming from basically what I, I call now, you may call them Google, but I call them Cyberdyne Systems, mm-hmm. uh, because <laughs> they're going to be starting to sell a humanoid robot that can walk, climb, and use tools, and even drive a car. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's de- uh, developed by a Japanese firm that has been bought by Google, because Google's been buying all these robotics companies. Because they're trying to um, amass a robot army for their takeover. Of course. Because, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's Skynet. It'll be Google Net. It'll probably be an- the Android. That stupid little Android system will come up on everybody's screen. And then next thing you know, Judgment Day. Well, they let you so, know by calling it Android. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, you, you pretty much know what, what the hell's up with these guys. It's time Definitely. you accept our robot masters, all right? No. It's, not, it's time, it's time um, you bow no, down. No, 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 no. It's time you bow down into the comfortable world of robot uh, assisted death. Yeah. <laughs> No way, no way. I, I will be, I'll be fighting a good fight with Ooh, the human resistance league. Man. So, uh, but yes, thank you, Mr. Project 5, for your submission. Ooh, the next one comes from the HOD. And he says here, prepare to face robots much like the human-like Cylons as they infiltrate our society and nuke it when the time is right. Yes, and this comes from the website IFL Science. And uh, researchers are I, – I, I don't know why they're doing this. Scientists out there, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're developing muscle-powered bio-robots. Why? Yes. Why, 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 why are we doing this? People on, at the University of Illinois are producing a new generation of muscle-powered biological robots or biobots that can stimulate walk – to, can be simulated to walk using electrical impulses. Great. Yes, this is, this is just, uh, you know, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> why, why are we doing this? And, and, of course, they always say, oh, you know, we can help uh, people that have amputees and stuff like this. But this, this is all for a thing of just uh, developing a robot army and plus trying to get venture capital. So uh, this is all going to blow up in our faces and we will all be dying uh, getting your faces ripped off by bio, uh, bio-powered bots with their, their, their muscles flexing. So oh my thank gosh. you, Mr. The Hod, for your submission. Oh, next one here comes from Firehawk and uh, Escapist Magazine. And I had heard about this, and this is why I call Google the Cyberdyne Systems, mm-hmm. because they have uh, the Google co-founders, uh, they have uploaded a text file on their servers that tell the T-800 and T-1000 Terminators to disallow their deaths. And I don't think they're, I don't think they're joking on this. I really don't. They'd be the guys think, that do it. I think they know something that we don't know. And uh, this is definitely some bad news. So, um, so basically they're setting up the fourth protocol, the fourth directive? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Keep us, keep us alive. Dick, because the Dick Jones protocol. Yeah. <laughs> the Dick Jones protocol. <laughs> per, per, pretty much. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much what we're looking at here. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely some bad stuff. So, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Firehawk for your submission and thank you for, uh, making me, um, more nervous at night and, and more resentful of Google. <laughs> so, hey, hey, Neil, man, thank you. Don't be evil. Yeah, right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Don't be evil. Yes, yes. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. And the last one here comes from, and this is kind of appropriate, coming from no other than uh, Robo Lizard 222. Oh, yes. And he says, this is the greatest kind of robot love alert because he calls this robot love. Mm-hmm. And he's got a link to the Gundam Guy blog, and it's there. There's an actual 1-1 Gundam that moves. And he says here, it begins now for mobile dolls. That's, that's Robo Lizard speaking. So, mm-hmm. yes, the, uh, the Real G Next Project are going to make a, a new 1-1 real Gundam that moves. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna, the project's to have this done by 2019. Wow. So probably in 2020, uh, downtown Tokyo will be crushed by uh, a rampaging uh, RX-78-2. <laughs> wow. Jesus. And this is, and this is, they're aiming to be completed for 2019, which would be the 40th anniversary of Mobile Sea Gundam. 
Hey, man, if they want to make a mobile gun, hopefully it's pilotable. <laughs> so that way, if it decides to have a mind of its own, it can be brought under, brought under control. Yeah, no, no, no AI on this one, oh, guys. Yeah, please. Um, definitely, um, definitely no AI on this because <laughs> this, is, this is just uh, some, some bad stuff here. That, so, that would be a problem. That would be a problem. But, uh, man, it, it, it's exciting. I, I would like to see it take its first step, man. But, I mean, physics, I think, is going to kind of uh, – Kind of, kind of hinder that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess that would be the biggest thing is 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 the whole the whole physics thing. So, but uh, other than that, so, but uh, thank you, Robo Lizard two 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 for your submission. Not really. I hope you die. Oh, and well, um, before before you move on, I I did want to expand on that uh, Pacific Rim thing for a second, if I could. Okay. Um. Yeah. Uh, basically, what they were saying was the. Uh, um, that they also, as one of the projects they want to have between uh, now and when movie two comes out, is to have an animated series, which will um, which will bridge the gap between part one and part two. Okay. And they're actually courting Japanese companies right now in order to find out which one would be the most suitable to actually animate it. I'm hoping they pick Sunrise or they work something out with Sunrise, but it hasn't been announced which anime company is going to be working on probably it with them. Uh, probably. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, but uh, uh, I guess uh, more news as that develops, but that's the story on that. And uh, looking forward to it also. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And. To follow up with Robo Apocalypse news, and I don't know if there's music for this, Solbro, or not. I don't know if you ever had a chance to find this, but we have some Human Resistance League news. Oh, I've, yes. I've, I've already made a promo for that, man. All right. Well, oh, yeah. hit it, Solbro. Hey, here we go. No, I'm not going to hook up a Cylon into the CIC. Thank you. And the first and only submission comes from Ace Attorney Gundam. And this is a good one because I, 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 I like this here. Maybe I need to switch states mm-hmm. where I live. It says here, North Carolina is set to outlaw hunting and fishing drones. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, they're going to have restrictions on straw, uh, small drones, model aircraft, mm-hmm. uh, small unmanned aircraft systems, whatever you want to call them, that are, are used to hunt and uh, fish. Um, I don't know why deer and, and fish are getting this protection and humans aren't, but I mean, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. So and it says here that 38 others, 36 other states have been busy formulating their own drone regulations for which have exacted laws, mainly focusing on protecting people's privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to see them protect people's faces because, you know, robots, they do like to rip them off. So, uh, yeah, hopefully this is uh, well. You know, I'm I'm starting to see out there. Maybe maybe it's my call to arms, but um, I'm 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 starting to see a lot of people starting to say, hmm, is this, is this really the best thing that we're doing here? But um, <laughs> hey, I digress. But um, thank you, Mr. Ace Attorney Gundam, for your submission. And uh, what else? What what other way to finish out the news than and especially. For a set uh, for an episode that we're going to be reviewing, one of Surbay's magnum opuses, the classic tr- uh, Transformers: Age of Extinction of All Childhood. So it is now time for some Surbay news. Michael Bay, Michael Bay. Oh my God, that's bullshit! What the? F- and the first one here comes from EA Net, dude. And I got to give him, <laughs> I got to give him props on this because I like the calculations here. Mm-hmm. He has. The biggest box office opening of the year, of course, Transformers, Age of Extinction, All Childhoods. He says approximately (laughs) 5.2 million childhoods are extinct after the release on the first day. Yo, Elliot. (laughs) 
Actually, the release of the, uh, the Thursday night and Friday domestically. Oh. That's just domestically. That's not globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it raked in $41.6 million at the box office on uh, 20, uh, Thursday night and Friday domestically. And he said divide that by eight. That's rounded up from the current movie ticket price average of seven ninety six. I don't know where the hell people are seeing those movies at because sure <laughs> in hell they cost me seven ninety six. This is the first time my ticket actually costs more than buying a medium popcorn and a large cherry coke. Jesus. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, and he, he does the calculation out that you divide it out. That's 5.2 million extinct childhoods. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, that's a, um, uh, and his source is right. And of course he brings up uh, a point that, um, that needs to be made. He says the evil tradeous organization known as rotten tomatoes is currently giving the film <laughs> only a 17% approval. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Oh, EA Net Dude, for wow. that submission. And uh, actually, you know what? Uh, anybody out there that had their childhood extinguished watching uh, Transformers Age of Extinction of All Childhoods, uh, to drop us a line here at the old uh, Mecha Talk forums or uh, GundamMHQ uh, at gmail.com. So uh, we'd love to hear how, your, uh, how one movie basically killed all those years of uh, happy childhood. So definitely want to hear that. So uh, thank you, Mr. EA Net Dude, for your submission. Oh. <laughs> And this one comes from the most evil of all Australians, Vet Noir. Oh, boy. And gosh, I may need to make a career change because mm-hmm. I did not realize that this was really possible. What's that? Uh, he's got a link here to um, io9, and they talk to uh, somebody that has probably the best job, actually the best job title ever. <laughs> person worked on Transformers and Pacific Rim, mm-hmm. and his job title was Destruction Supervisor. Wow, what a title. <laughs> yes. And as I, as, I, as I look at this, all I think of is a Danny McBride's character in Tropic Thunder. Hell yes. Yes. Uh, they, they talked to uh, Michael Belog, who's the uh, ILM's, uh, he's called the Destruction Supervisor <laughs> on the last two Transformers movies plus Pacific Rim. And uh, they go into and they talk to him about the challenges uh, of doing these movies and, um, you know, actually the differences of making all that destruction happen. He talks about how, um, you know, Pacific Rim um, is a little bit, uh, had certain challenges because it's mainly at night and in the rain. And he says it makes it easier to hide behind the darkness and sheets of water where he says that, you know, the Transformers movies are all during the day. So it's always in your face. So mm-hmm. he talks about a lot of a lot of the stuff here. Um, and my God, he's got the coolest job ever. <laughs> and, I mean, <laughs> talk about a dream. Talk about a job that when you get up every morning, you are ready to do it. I mean, you I mean, come on. You, you, you got to admit, Solbro, if you woke up every day and said, I'm going to blow up half of a major large city today, mm-hmm. uh, w- w- wouldn't, you, uh, wouldn't you be ready to go? I don't know if I could sleep. <laughs> I, I, I would probably have a problem. I'd probably have to take Ambien or something like that. It'd be like, it'd be like Christmas every day. Oh, it's, uh. yes. <laughs> and I could just see it. I'll probably be like Danny McBride. I'll have the, have the mullet and I'll just be going crazy when, the, when I hit the, uh, the explosions because uh, – that's probably one of the funniest things in that movie <laughs> outside all, of Robert Downey Jr. I know this man's going to be busy, straight busy for the next couple of years because you, yeah. know, you know we're going to get to Transformers 5 and Pacific Rim 2. We just talked about it. So this, man, this man's job is secure. <laughs> and it, as well, it should be. Absolutely. It, I mean, my God, this, this guy should get like the Presidential Medal of Freedom for the work that he's done. <laughs> okay, President Obama, I know you're listening. Um, so... You know. <laughs> 
So thank you, Mr. Vent Noir, for that submission. And uh, I think I'm going to have to update my resume and submit it to ILM because uh, <laughs> this, is, this is almost one of those things. It's like, could I just work for free under you? <laughs> With just the hope of someday being past the, 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 the buttons, the, the blasting caps. <laughs> well, actually, it would be the mouse because a lot of it is done on um, – uh, computer generated but so mm-hmm. but yes thank you uh for that submission oh the next one here comes from uh rodimus 76 he's got a link to the gink tyrant and it's, it seems that uh the transformers producer and uh sir michael bay have uh they've talked about some of the hate that they get the the unjustified hate oh yes the venom that's given to them because they create awesome motion pictures and you have all these people out there that are failed film students that think, oh, this should be better. Oh, oh, Michael Bay, he's done all these bad things. And, um, you know, so basically um, they, uh, they, they go through it and they basically say, <laughs> we don't give a crap about what any of these people say. And critics are just hating the critics. Like Sir Bay here says he had, a, he had a, uh, an interview with uh, MTV and he was asked what he thinks about movie critics. And his reply was, quote, from the beginning of this one, um, I feel like you've always had this great kind of like love hate relationship with the band boys around Transformers where like, you know, they took you to task. A little no, they bit love the hate. Movie. I don't right. care. They let, let them hate. Let them hate. They're still going to see the movie. Okay. Well, and yeah. probably multiple times. Right. So let's see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to see the movie. I think it's good to get a little tension. Very good. I used to get bothered by it, but I think it's good to get dialogue going. It makes me think and it keeps me on my toes, so it's good. So he's thrown down the challenge. Yo. He sat there, he took off his white gloves, and he smacked them across the critics' faces. And he's like, you know what? You're going to hate anyways. So keep on doing it because guess what? You're still going to see the movie. Yo, take so, that, Rotten Tomatoes. Take that. Yeah, take that. <laughs> smack. <laughs> right across the face. He's got a lot of critics to smack there. <laughs> I, Myself included. <laughs> no, actually, you're, 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 not as, you're not as bad as, uh, mm-hmm. as, as some of these other people are. Oh, so, man. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's definitely um, uh, some some interesting stuff but uh i pay you know i think what 750 either they got 750 million reasons why to act like that (laughs) and and counting on this so you know hey (laughs) that's come a point where it's like uh uh there's just hate just to hate so let the haters hate but uh, thank you, Mr. Rodimus76, for your submission. Oh, the next one here comes from EA Net, dude. And he's actually got this titled as a Sir Bay Appreciation Alert. And this is the thing that we like to hear. The Washington Free Beacon Press praises Michael Bay as the altar of awesome. And they got some quotes here. Uh, this is a little disturbing because of my robot, um, my robophobia. Mm-hmm. But uh, it says, first, one must understand about Michael Bay is that, like Skynet, he is totally self-aware. That is true. <laughs> that is that is true. And uh, some other things like Guy Fieri, he's uh, he knows what what you Michael Bay knows what you want is willing to give you twenty seven servings of it if you get diabetes. Well, that's your fault. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting though is Bay is an, is mindless advocate for wealth and the wealthy. He likes toys money can buy and he's deeply skeptical of money himself of the methods <laughs> one must uh, pursue in the order to enter the one percent so um but and then some other things here 
but the shocking demise of Lucas is where we see how Bay feels about chasing bucks at the expense of loyalty. After selling out his friends in Optimus Prime in hopes of attaining a reward for the government, Lucas is killed in a rather horrifying way by the very people promised to cash him cash. He pays the price for his greed. Damn. These are, these are, uh, man's inhumanity to his fellow man is, is made quite literal on the island that Michael Bay's production is practically Marxist in its crit, uh, critique of wealth. Man. He is true. They are true there. These, these are things that Sir Bay does. Uh, he must hate himself like, then. Shit. <laughs> like the American populace of old, no share of populace, small populace today, my, uh, Sir Bay is deeply skeptical of the wealthy and deeply skeptical of the drive to accumulate wealth, but also leavens his work with health. Healthy doses of patriots. Watching Age of Extinction of Childhoods, I couldn't help but be struck by the fact that hero K. Dagger barely appears in a shot without a flag fluttering in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Oh, no. <laughs> and he's like, and then they, they finish up with, on the other hand, you have the Patriot Jaegers and a red, white, and blue Optimus Prime. On the other, you have a black bag CIA team accountable to no one and a multinational corporation that hopes to build America's war fighting machines and Chinese factories. Yeah, he shows that too. He mm-hmm. definitely does. So uh, thank you, uh, Washington Free Breakin Press, for setting the record straight. And, and have we noticed a trend here, Solbro, in the survey news alerts that um, a lot of people now are, are giving second thought? Of saying, hey, this guy can actually do his job. Amen. He's he's not what we've uh, what the uh, the the nerd hipsters have been telling us that he's some uh, killer and, and uh, massacre of uh, of childhoods and and uh, of, of of movies. So there's a there's a cat that I watch on YouTube. His name is uh, Movie Bob. And um, years ago, when he reviewed part two for Transformers, he lambasted Michael Bay. He he really tore into him over how bad the movie turned out. That was well, the writers. Well, that was well, during the writers. Well, well, too. well, well. He had kind of a uh, over the years. He's had kind of a change of heart, and he released. Yeah. He has kind of a uh, an editorial series called uh, The Big Picture, and it's a uh, part of the Escapist uh, Movies channel on YouTube. And on there, he had the title of the one of the latest videos he put out was called "Leave Michael Bay Alone," and yes. he, and he goes into his um his his reasons as to why he's kind of matured as a critic, and he knows that uh, one of the one of the biggest things that critics do is use Michael Bay as a whipping boy, um in order to kind of have like a, a pulpit to 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 kind of uh, uh diminish him on yeah and you know what they do yeah is all of the movie critics are all failed. Uh, movies, uh, film students, mm-hmm. college film students, and you can always tell with the the survey reviews that you can always tell the people that have film degrees because they start whipping out all the film degree jargon. And they don't do it to any other movie. And this is another thing that I notice when I read some of these reviews. All these other movies, oh, this is just good fun and blah, blah, blah. And then with uh, survey movies, they always start doing the jargon. So yeah. it, a lot of it is it's just jealousy because he's, he's an amazing director yeah. that gets to blow up things all the time. And they're stuck reviewing movies. Yeah. I, mean, I love the fact that he actually uh, – Bob actually calls himself out on what he yeah. used to do. And he says, look, I, I acknowledge the, the work that he's done and how much he's entertained people. And apparently his movies do get results. He even brought – he even brought a couple – I guess last year when Pain and Gain came out, he gave it a favorable review. And, yeah. she, and he said, I know he's capable of, of, of a better – He um, when he reviewed Transformers, he actually gave it a favorable review. He said, you know what? It's a popcorn movie. 
It was enjoyable. And it's like, I'm not going to sit here and admonish this man. I mean, a lot of people go to his videos waiting to see him tear Michael Bay apart. And it's like, look, I'm not going to do that because at the end of the day, he succeeded in what he set out to do. (laughs) So, uh, you know, like I said, I recommend Movie Bob to anyone. He's got several series on YouTube. But if you want to check that out, just go to Escapist Movies on YouTube and check out The Big Picture. It's one of his most recent entries. It's called Leave Michael Bay Alone. And it's very enlightening. So definitely check that out. Sounds like we need this guy on Goddamn. <laughs> I would be honored to talk to him sometime. I really would. Get on it, Dolo. <laughs> and the last of the survey news alerts for this momentous episode, it comes from Silver August. Oh. And this comes from Sabertron.com. And Surbay has conquered a lot of things. Uh, he's conquered asteroids in his movies, mm-hmm. Decepticons, you know, haters. <laughs> uh, he's conquered. He's conquered uh, box offices, and but now Surbay took on probably one of his biggest challenges. He's actually conquered China. Yeah, what he did it? Yeah. The, the red country. Many, many people have tried, but oh. only Sir Michael Bay has done it. And of because course. Age of Extinction of all childhoods <laughs> is now the highest-grossing film in China's history. And you know how long China's history is? Mm-hmm. It's long. It's long. It's <laughs> very long. And I don't know how long movies have been going on there, but probably just as long. Mm-hmm. Confucius was probably doing some movies back in the day, I would think. Yes, it's official. The, the, uh, and, and this is dated on July 10th, and it's been certified as the highest grossing film of all time in China, even beating out Avatar. Mm-hmm. That piece of crap that I've never seen. That you've never uh, seen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the total box office take in China as of July 10th is $219.2 million. Mm-hmm. And that's pulled off in 11 days. Yes. Survey. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing, man, because this movie definitely does cater to the Chinese audience. I mean, there's a whole ton of uh, product placement for Chinese products in the movie. Um, you know, I, I see people. Uh, drinking. Chinese actors were—they were pretty yeah. awesome. And that was, that's that's something um, I think a lot of people. Uh, that was one thing that I, I I felt kind of when I read some of the reviews. Nobody talked about that because yeah. that that woman Lee Bingbing, Lee she's Bingbing, like yeah, she's like the freaking like um, I don't know who's our big woman actor right now in, uh, in the U.S. Probably like, Jennifer. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Mystique. Uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence? Lawrence. Yeah, like the girl. Yeah, she just kills it and everything. That's their version of it yeah and she was pretty awesome in the movie yeah so. i'm a little smitten by her now i i i i, I, I don't i haven't seen Super too many movies got a little crush huh <laughs> just one of many just one of many yeah. but uh so. yeah, yeah she was pretty cool in the movie i gotta say but um so thank you for that and uh like always oh actually i have one quick housekeeping thing oh and i'm just gonna put it in this aspect uh, poster Zantman four nine one seven. I appreciate the enthusiasm of one of the things that you posted, but please just post news in this thread. If you want to do something like this, put it somewhere else. I'm sure, based on what I can see here and the fact that I don't recognize your username at this point, I believe you're probably a new listener, new poster. So. No big deal, but thank you for the enthusiasm. But put it somewhere else. But 
Yeah, well, the best place he could have put that was uh, probably in the actual um, when he, if he was listening to an episode. If you ever have feedback that actually directly goes to an episode, just post your feedback in the actual yeah. thread for the episode. That's actually or a help. perfect place start for a new it. thread. I mean, yeah. you could do what you want because actually something like that. Mm-hmm. Looking at it now, that'd be kind of a cool like new thread thing. Yeah, that that's actually kind of a and it would have been nice to see uh, the 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 uh, the feedback we would have gotten on that. So, but. No problem. And like always, if you have any news, always go to the Neos Listener Submitted News Articles thread in the Gundam section of the Mecha Talk forum. And Solbro, anything before we go to our first segment, the review of uh, Sir Michael Bay's magnum opus, Transformers Age of Extinction of All Childhoods. And son, I'm excited to review the movie and to meet our mystery guest. Yes. Oh my goodness. Let's do it. <laughs> Who could we blew the we blew the goddamn budget on getting him get this person here. So called in all the favors. All the favors. So uh, we'll be back with our first segment. You're listening to Gundam at MHQ. This is Stephanie Shea, and you're listening to Gundam at MAHQ. In a world where vivid flashbacks can strike without warning. In a world where a submissive adolescent must pilot a giant humanoid robot to save humanity. In the same world where a two-legged quadruped can run leisurely at the speed of sound with the aid of jewelry. Only one podcast can discuss this with their sanity intact. And this is Not That Podcast. www.ssapodcast.com The Ass Backwards Anime Podcast. Oh wait, I was supposed to use that voice in the beginning. Uh, Let's go again. The Anime Addicts Anonymous Podcast presents... Story time with Cram. And yes, we are now presently in Cram's house. That's right. So we are in the uh, the murder room. Actually. Yes, yeah. oh, this yeah. is the murder room. Oh, it's, would you like to tell? You have to tell the story now. Uh, I've told it on the podcast before, but I guess it was back in two thousand six, December of two thousand six. Uh, someone was murdered in this house. The people that were living here. Um, the son was taking care of his mother, and she was very ill, as I understand it, and I guess he wanted to put her out of her misery, so he took a pillow and uh, asphyxiated her. Right here. Right here. Right where we're same doing this. Same to Right here. Yeah, same to ta- Well, no, they changed the to Tommy. Oh, they changed the to so Tommy. Oh, so you mean to tell me that we're actually broadcasting right now in the exact maybe square meter where a person was smothered to death? Yeah. Wow. We're also underneath my bedroom uh, where a man died of an illness. Wow. The father. For more Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast, visit www.aaapodcast.com or iTunes. Open. God damn it. Open. Prime, you said the Matrix would light our darkest hour. Magnus, I want the Matrix. Never. Never. 
All right, everyone, welcome back. And uh, yes, this is it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. The long-awaited uh, review of Surbay's classic, Transformers Age of Extinction of All Childhoods. <laughs> and of course, we have a special guest because even though he's on vacation, he couldn't, be, he couldn't stay away because he loves the Surbay so much. And oh that would be MHQ Zone Chris Guanche. Chris, welcome back. Uh, how, uh, how, how's the vacation been for you? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that good. Well, that's, that's good yes. to know. <laughs> so, um, you sound refreshed. <laughs> yeah. You sound refreshed. So refreshed. So refreshed. So fresh and clean, like Outcast used to say, right? No, you do. Uh, yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, quick. Uh, quick synopsis, quick summary of this movie. I mean, um, where do we go? It's a couple years after the Battle of Chicago that we saw in Transformers Dark of the Moon. Mm-hmm. And we meet an inventor named uh, Cade Yeager. And uh, I wonder if he's Which related to Chuck like Yeager. Such a porn star name. It sure does. Hey, man. Well, Dirk Diggler couldn't have it any better. It kind of works there. And we see he's a struggling inventor in Texas, and he's got a hot daughter and kind of a dumb friend that helps him. And he's kind of one of these guys that um, goes around and, and gets junk and kind of fixes it up. And he, he's, uh, he's definitely uh, – I, I would have to watch this guy because he did have a lot of robots in his thing. So he is tinkering. So he could – he could be a, an early robo collaborator, uh, and, and we do find out that he kind of is in a weird way. But the Transformers aren't really the robots that I worry too too much about because they're more like alien beings. But I digress. But um, we see that he picks up a, uh, a familiar truck from the '80s. Wow, no, uh, it had the cab over over the engine, and, and oh, yeah. we find we find out that uh, it's got a unique power source. And long story short, it ends up being Optimus Prime. And the reason why it's Optimus Prime, he's been on the run. Because uh, in typical uh, U.S. government style, when something bad happens, like the Battle of Chicago, everything goes freaks out. So they're hunting down the Transformers. <laughs> and they're actually uh, using the, uh, and this is through the CIA, and they're actually using the help of a bounty hunter, a Transformer bounty hunter named Lockdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see him take out a couple of uh, guys, especially Ratchet. See you later, Ratchet. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, he got he got kind of messed up. Mm-hmm. So he tracks him down, uh, Optimus and uh, Mark Wahlberg, his hot daughter, and her uh, older boyfriend, who's actually a rally racer, and the other dumb idiot. They get out of there, uh, and then they're actually being um, hunted down. They find out that uh, this a this evil. A uh, tech company called KSI is actually doing work with uh, some of the, the old Transformers. They're kind of uh, re- uh, recycling them from Chicago uh, and trying to use it for their own things. And uh, basically, they're trying to recreate the Transformers to use for you know different things, like weapons programs. And wow, they they keep recreating this one thing, and it, and it just keeps being uh, uh, it's it being created from part of the, parts of data from Megatron's brain. And he ends up being called Galvatron. Hmm. Sounds, sounds interesting. So, well, as the uh, Autobots and uh, Mark Wahlberg, his daughter, and the, uh, the, the, her boyfriend are trying to, um, you know, uh, basically uh, crack the case 
of the CIA doing all these bad things. Um, Galvatron gained sentience. Next thing you know, all the other uh, Transformers creations start attacking. Uh, they end up uh, blowing up Hong Kong. Uh, <laughs> and they end up going to Beijing, blowing that up. There's lots of funny stuff. Lots of there's actually uh, a, a great scene with um, you know destroying parts of uh, a, a Chinese neighborhood. So that that's definitely great there. Um, making new friends, making new friends, definitely. <laughs> so uh, they actually find out that Megatron is actually or Galvatron is actually Megatron reincarnated. Mm-hmm. So big fight happens. We get introduced to the Dinobots who are freaking huge. They come in, save the day, and uh, they end up uh, defeating Galvatron's army, defeating the CIA, uh, killing uh, Kelsey Grammer, and then uh, Optimus Prime um, lets, uh, lets the Autobots go do what they want in space, and he sets off and uh, does his best Superman uh, impression <laughs> and launches off the uh, Earth into space to help uh, find a because he sent a message to the creators about leaving the Earth alone because uh, we we get kind of introduced a little bit about the creators in this one because so but that's a quick synopsis I'm sure I missed stuff but we'll we'll be going through it as we go through all these reviews so um, hmm let me see uh, Soul Bro me first yeah you, you sure first. you want this yeah. <laughs> Let, let, let's hear what nonsense comes out of your mouth. What's oh, what what some impressions oh. of uh, Transformers Age of Extinction of all childhoods? Actually, before you begin, was sure. your childhood, uh, was it extinct after this? Oh, no, my childhood has been extinct for years. Oh, okay, good. But way uh, before, well, well before Bay stepped into the picture. <laughs> so, so, Soul Bro, some of your thoughts about Transformers Age of Extinction of all childhoods. Well, man, uh, the wife and I, we went to go see it. In IMAX over in, uh, off of, uh, in the, in the main tourist trap part of town where we actually have a real size IMAX screen and saw it in 3D. So we saw it in the, uh, optimal bay mode. We, we, yeah. we, we, we saw Basically. it in the, in the way Sir Bay would approve. <laughs> <laughs> Added to the, uh, to, to the bay bucks. But, uh, we sat and watched the movie. Um, and man, um, I'll just say right off the bat, it's kind of on par for me with movie three. Um, I didn't hate movie three, but there were issues I had with it. Um, I, I enjoyed the set pieces. Let me write that, let me put that right there on the table. The set pieces were incredible. Michael Bay, of course, was in fine form. Uh, I'm not going to use this as a platform to beat up on him either, to be honest. Uh, at this point in time, the man is good at what he does and he gets paid well for what he does and he makes a lot right. of money doing what he does. Um, I recently had the chance to watch Pain and Gain, which I can see that he's capable of doing more. But when it comes to these Transformers movies, I know he is going to not rock the boat. <laughs> and because of that, there's other things I have to look at and analyze um, as, as, as the faults with this movie. And the thing I like to demonize really is Aaron Kruger. Um, I, I'm sick of him as a writer. I am so sick of him. Um, the set pieces are great. That's where Michael Bay kind of, kind of takes over the movie. So, you know, the script you know, has a vague description that he can go and do his orchestrations of, of destruction and, and, yes. and put on an entertaining show. Lots of destruction. But the in-between parts, the parts that are the glue for the movie are weak. <laughs> the dialogue so on the nose. Uh, I'm going to go save my daughter. I'm going to go too. <laughs> uh, he's a scientist. Um, I mean, so he's an inventor, so he must have a good heart. Are you shitting me? 
Are you really shitting me with that dialogue? Are you kidding me right now? I'm paraphrasing it, but that's just the vibe of the dialogue you'll get in this movie. The character with the best dialogue is easily Marky Mark's character, uh, Cade Yeager. Marky so, Mark? Yo, Marky I mean, Mark, Mark Wahlberg. He's, he hasn't been Marky Mark in, like, forever. Give but, the man a little respect. Yo, as a brother that grew up in the 90s, he would never stop being Marky Mark. So get out here with that. <laughs> hey, so, bro. What's up? Just, just interrupt you here for a second. What's up? Most hated screenwriter deathmatch. Only one can emerge, and you're stuck with that person forever. Mm-hmm. Roberto Orsi or Aaron Kruger? <laughs> that's, a, that's a Sophie's choice, my friend. Who, who would you rather be stuck with for all eternity? <laughs> Holy shit. Until their natural death. You know what? Orsi has pulled off some decent shows and some passable films. So I, as much as I hate his work, too, I would pick Orsi. Aaron Kruger hasn't written a good script since Arlington Road. And Goodness. man, yeah, it, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I would rather do without them. But if I had to if gun to head, <laughs> I'll take Orsi. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the dialogue is terrible. Um, the depictions of the characters. Um, I don't know whether it's Michael Bay's ability to direct actors. Because again, I saw Pain and Gain. He did a damn good job directing Marky Mark and that with The Rock and, and Falcon. So, you know... <laughs> He did a good job. Tony Shalhoub killed it in that movie. So did Ed Harris. As I, I can't really uh, bring his ability to, to direct actors um, into question as strongly as I did before. Um, I, 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 I also look back at the, the Island, which is a movie that wasn't really well received, but I happen to like it for what he attempted to do. And um, I'm cool with that movie. And he's put up, of course, some some gems, the uh, the classic of, uh, of of Bad Boys 2 and also um, The Rock. I always cite that as one of his best movies, even though it's one of his earlier works. Um, but, yeah, watching this movie, it just killed me. The, the parts in between the, the interactions between uh, Mark Wahlberg and his daughter and the, the, she can't act <laughs> to save her life. So <laughs> I um, and, and she's not that bad, dude. She's the girl from the uh, last airbender. I, someone had to point that out to me. It's like, you know, that's that. Uh, no, I never saw the last one. Oh, she's, she's not making Fox bad. No, she's not making no, Fox bad. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the standard. It, that's it, the Mendoza line. It's still wooded. Right and, and they kill off T.J. Miller in order to replace him with Lucky Charms. What the fuck? <laughs> Another cat who didn't even have a consistent accent. I, I, just, I just wasn't feeling the people we were stuck with except for Mark. And then later when uh, Stanley Tucci showed up. Stanley Tucci's character is kind of the stand-in for... Um, What's his face from uh, the other Transformers movie? John Turturro's character, kind of totally better, a little bit better, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, you know, I, I was able to warm up to him, and yeah, he he kind of ended up stealing the show in some scenes, so that's cool. Uh, Kelsey Grammer, as much as I like him as an actor, uh, was given a shit character, and Titus Welliver, I always love him as a heavy, and um, he did pretty good in this movie, especially the fight between. Uh, him and Mark Wahlberg in that Chinese apartment. You gotta love when Americans go to fucking foreign places and just wreck fucking shop. <laughs> People's houses. That's what we do. What we That's do. what we do. And, and you know what? The Transformers, I, I love their disposition in this movie. I love the fact that they said, you know, F this planet. We're leaving. It's like, you humans can have your own problems. I mean, we're not sticking around for this. I love the fact that they were like that because they were just finally, you know, stressed out of the fact that the humans were hunting them. So the Autobots depiction, I didn't really have much of a problem with. Um, I, I, um, Watching the movie unfold, I did have a problem with them wrecking Chicago once again. 
Um, sure. and then taking the battle to, to Hong Kong <laughs> and wrecking that city too. But I, I guess if you're going to fight the Decepticons, shit is going to get effed up. So, you know, there's really no, uh, there's no way around that. And I, I, it kind of will accelerate things to the next movie. You know what? Despite that, all of that damage in both of those cities, mm-hmm. I found still far less gratuitous destruction porn than Man of Steel. Oh, damn. You know what? You, I did too. You raise a good yeah. point. You raise a yeah. good point. Yeah. <laughs> Man of Steel, that city was a crater. <laughs> that, 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 that's the point where you know it's, it's too much. Oh, man. Yeah, that's true. I, I didn't see buildings toppling uh, one after the next in Transformers, just maybe just one or two buildings. But <laughs> it's, uh, the, the end game was solid. Um, I, I, I did dig the fact that Mark and uh, Optimus had to work together to take on uh, Deadlock. Is that his name? The Deadlock, the uh, the bounty hunter? Lockdown. 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 Thank Lockdown. You. God, what am I saying? Lockdown. I had to work together to take him on and... Um, Dumbass uh, Kelsey Grammer's character tried to uh, tried to jack Mark and ended up paying for it. I, Optimus killed his first human, from what I saw, which is uh, a pretty big deal. A man who said we must protect the humans, but the man behind this must die. It's like yo, yo, Prime, I'm on board. Let's go. <laughs> but the the thing that killed me for this movie, and uh, we were talking with Show a couple of days ago, Paul and myself. Uh, and show had watched it uh, and said that, you know, I watched this movie and although I enjoyed it, this is the most pointless film I've ever watched. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, the, and, and, and he brings up a good point because yeah. it's it's definitely you had the you had the original trilogy mm-hmm. and you had everything kind of just done there. But then then this movie comes about mm-hmm. and I almost equate this to the classic uh, destruction of Havana yeah. in Cuba and Bad Boys 2 mm-hmm. because and they, they they actually achieved their goal, but then it's like they had too much money left over from the budget. So they're like, okay, let's just extend it to a point where Gabrielle Union gets kidnapped. So we have to go blow up, um, you know, shanty towns and um, you know stand in for Cuba. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I, I I could see that with the story and stuff yeah. too. Yeah. Well, yeah, and 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 if anything, I I know that Bay has to end this movie on a huge, grandiose note, so that's fine. But um, the fact that Optimus could easily fly into space and go to the heart of the matter and and stop this, and he did it at the end of the movie, blew my mind. It's like, are you shitting me right now? <laughs> yeah, but didn't but didn't he do that at the end of uh, Transformers Prime? Uh, didn't he do that in the movie or something when he went into the to the the that that well in Cybertron? Did he fly on that one, or he just? Well, he, he didn't have to go very far to do that. But Prime, you know, left Earth through the atmosphere to go into space, to go hey. deep into space, to find the Autobot and it's Decepticon creators. It's the cinematic creators. universe. There's changes, and, and that's another issue I have with this movie: the abrupt ass endings of all the Transformers movies. It doesn't stop with this one. This ending's so abrupt. It's like, are you shitting me right now? There's no resolution. It's just like I have got to do this. I'm leaving, and. Uh, I, I'm just sitting there mind effed again. <laughs> yeah, but Prime, Prime does that a lot, though. He will just up and be like, I got to go do something because, you know, for whatever reason. Even in the cartoons, the various cartoons, he does that Sure, at times. but this is a movie, so I kind of expect a little bit better. And instead, you know, they just ended, up, ended with a bunch of sequel bait that I really didn't appreciate all that much. Uh, it seemed to me like a little bit of a middle finger at the end, story-wise, but... <laughs> <laughs> what what changes um last but not least i will say this when i watched this movie i enjoyed the premise of the fact that the autobots were being hunted down and the fact that they themselves were turning their backs on humanity save for the fact that Cade decided to help them out and they, they aligned themselves with him um i like the depiction of the autobots i, I like the disposition of uh hound and 
and um, what's it, Crosshairs and uh, Drift and I, 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 and Bumblebee even, you know, they're all a little bit jaded. It made me wonder what happened to all the human collaborators with the Autobots from the previous movies. Granted, they're just gone and, and they really don't say much, but I, I ended up missing just it's a, a couple of years later. So yeah, that, it's that, five that years makes later. makes a lot more sense. Well, yeah. Which is fine. You know, it time, time passes and it, it is what it is. But um, it made me wonder what happened to Goof LaBeouf. And how effed up he must be after after no, the persecution you, you of Autobots. You don't what happened to him because nobody cares about him. Well, let, let me let me let me put this on the table. I in his personal life, Shia is a messed up person, absolutely. But when he's in front of a camera, he does a damn good job at acting. And there's plenty of actors who you never want to know personally in real life, but when it comes to acting, he's really good. Um, I, I'm looking forward to a movie he's doing soon called uh, Fury with Matt. Uh, sorry, not Matt Damon. Uh, with Brad Pitt uh, in, uh, as a World War II battle uh, tank battle commander, uh, a, a tank battalion commander, and uh, Shia looks like he's going to be killing in that movie too. And you know, after after three movies of him bonding with Bumblebee and seeing Bumblebee in this movie, I wanted to know what kind of fallout those two had and how things have changed. So if they make a Transformers five and he's in it. I'm not going to p- complain too much because I hope he's effed up his character anyway, and I hope he comes back, maybe in a surprising way. But um, other than that, that was one of the lingering mysteries I had. But overall, um, I'm kind of middle of the road with this movie, <laughs> and uh, I'll toss the mic back to uh, Neo so he can uh, he can move us forward. Well, Chris, um, you said that you have this freshly in your mind, so uh, go ahead with some of your thoughts and. Uh, adulation of uh, Sir Bay's classic Transformers Age of Extinction of Childhoods. You know, I wasn't too hyped going into this movie, so I went in with <clears throat> not very high expectations mm-hmm. and was not disappointed. And I did enjoy it despite it having some pretty big problems. So we thrown around kind of. Uh, Big and small. Starting with the biggest one is the length, and yeah. I think the biggest problem is that this movie comes across as two movies slapped together, sort of the the Spider-Man three problem. <laughs> because yeah, I could say that. On the one hand, you got this plot of Lockdown being this uh, bounty hunter working for the creators of the Transformers, who had never been mentioned before, but based on the the ships we saw at the beginning kind of wonder if they're supposed to be the quintessons yeah that's what i was thinking too yeah so that's fine you know you got you got him as an enemy and he goes and he's killing people but then you got the secondary plot of megatron being resurrected as galvatron and that he's secretly been corrupting the whole thing of the human transformers and he takes control of all of them and unleashes them to try to get this seed to uh destroy hong kong so the movie basically climaxes at this battle in Chicago and then just goes on for another 45 minutes just because. And I know that they got a lot of Chinese funding, hence it's like, I think it's, they had a complete script. And then it's like, hey, now we have all this Chinese money. We better go shoot some stuff in China. Absolutely. And they had, a, they well, had a, I, like a fourth act to the movie. <laughs> and I, and I, th- I think that people are going to have to start um, uh, expecting that in a lot of movies because that's, that's going to be the next thing because that's where they're they're looking at that market. So we're going to probably be seeing this a lot more. I don't have a problem with that, but it should have been happening at an earlier stage yeah. just for development rather than just like, Hey, let's bolt on an extra act to this movie just to justify being in China. Yeah. And one of the things that I mean the most about this movie, and it was great 
having Frank Welker finally get his due on the big screen. Oh, thank you. Replacing Hugo Weaving. Ooh. And it was wonderful hearing his voice. But mm-hmm. for the third time in a row, Megatron or Galvatron, whatever, gets sidelined for some other villain and does nothing. Yeah. Yeah. He's Dirk Dastardly status in this movie. <laughs> so he takes over all of these robots, unleashes them in Hong Kong, and they all do all this fighting, and he just stands there and does nothing. Other yeah. than he just disappears for like 10 or 15 minutes. Then you see him pout, oh, they're ru- the Autobots are ruining everything. And then it, <laughs> like he disappears for another 10 or 15 minutes, and then he's just standing on some mountain, and he's like, curse you, Autobots, we will fight again. <laughs> and then he just, he just runs away. <laughs> why Why can Megatron never, ever be the main villain in any of these movies other than the first one? Why does he always have to be tossed aside for somebody else? Yeah, uh, that that was definitely a disappointment. I don't know. I would have rather that he not been in the movie at all and then just have it hinted at yeah. that uh, he was being resurrected and that he was corrupting this whole process and then have him show up in force in part five. Because he does nothing here. Yeah. And once you saw what was going on, it's cool. Like, oh, we have this form that we want to look like Optimus, but it keeps turning back into Megatron, and then it keeps taking control away from the drone pilot. And it's like, okay, that's cool, but it didn't get the exploration that it deserved. So he got sidelined, and I did not like that. I also didn't like that, in essence, uh, if you look at all four of these movies, it's always the exact same movie. Because... Earth apparently is like the um, the uh, trash can of Cybertron. <laughs> yeah, and it just seems there's just seems in every one of these movies there's always like some ancient piece of junk that's buried somewhere on Earth, and the discovery of it completely rewrites our history and changes everything that we think that we know. And it's happened every single time. Oh my gosh. It's it's the uh what is it the magic blood of the Transformers universe is that what you're saying basically <laughs> now I have a question and and like a lot of the incarnations of the cartoons and stuff is Earth really that close to Cybertron I know it's not too far away but it's not like on top of it either right it's they're they're not neighbors uh, right that's what you mean they're they're not it's not how, in the solar system i know that no. much yeah right okay. i mean they're, they're not that close but still it's like what is so special about earth that there's always some amazing ancient piece of trash buried here <laughs> that is you know colossally important at that exact moment but not before and not later ne- yeah. never alluded to it's just it's brought up and then it becomes the macguffin of the movie <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the fact that it was uh, the fact that Earth was uh, terraformed by the Quintessons at the beginning of the film, uh, you know, is something that they never even hinted to in any of the previous movies. Well, they're not the Quintessons, they're the creators. Oh, I'm sorry, we don't know. Sorry, sorry. They sorry. might be the Quintessons. Yeah, Quintessons. we don't know. The the, the pseudo Quintessons. I'll, I'll throw that out there. <laughs> Just say that no, they were called the creators. Because right. we don't know what they'll be. They may not be the Quintessons. Sure, they may, may not be. There's this other random thing of oh, you know, the creators and they had these knights and this ship to explore and Optimus is one of these nights like where did this come from this has never been mentioned anywhere at all whatsoever mm-hmm. it's out of left field like it <laughs> as in every film god damn yeah so that that was that was weird uh, another thing that got really tired and i hate this in every movie period but this movie really overdid it and that's the 
completely tired cliche of the ridiculously overprotective dad who goes to absurd lengths to lock down his teenage daughter's sexuality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and just basically forces her in the direction of boys for the most part. It, it's, it's such an old and tiresome and kind of sexist cliche. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's never funny when it's done. Especially since she was underage. Not- you're not allowed to touch boys or see boys ever, and I'm going to be an asshole and blah, 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 blah. But eventually I warm up to this kid. Yeah. It's so, so tired and a bad cliche, and they just ring it through this movie for so long. Yeah, the fact that they bring up the fact that he is older than she is. And, yeah, they brought up the Julia Laws and the fact that he carried, like, a laminated card with it on there just in case the cops would ever pull him over or some shit. But it's like, dude, I, I, that's that's kind of effed. That you know you're 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 kind of endorsing a uh, a statutory rape type situation in this movie. <laughs> I just I just couldn't get my head around that. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. It's just it's just dumb. And then the boyfriend, uh, aside from the inconsistent accent, mm-hmm. um, it was so annoying that he was talking so much shit. And you know they're getting on the ship, and he's like, "Well, I'm not here to help you rescue your daughter. You're here to help me rescue my girlfriend." And then the first opportunity to do something. He just uh, completely uh, cowards out. Fucking surrenders. does nothing. Exactly. And then uh, old Cade here, you know, this whole thing of, oh, I'm just the stupid inventor who has all these dumb things that maybe will work. It's like he's like basically a Doc Brown who never made anything good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. And then – but then once he gets this uh, alien gun, he starts running around like he's some superhero. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you're just a dude who has a cool alien gun, but you're not that special. You're still just a dumbass human <laughs> running well, around I mean, shooting Transformers. I guess in his defense, though, he was a uh, he was a, an inventor in um, in Texas, and you know how they don't like the science there. So maybe that's why he wasn't he was struggling so much because none of it was Jesus powered. Oh, you know? yeah, but Texas is also very friendly to like. Uh, corporate ip and whatnot so he should have <laughs> true that, should that have is been able true. to register something and sell it to somebody but mm-hmm. it, yeah i mean the human characters were, were kind of annoying but you really can't underestimate the difference of uh no goof boof makes oh <laughs> i will say Which, that mark 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 Wahlberg did a fantastic job uh, uh being the lead in this one as 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 compared to what uh what Shia LaBeouf did in the other three movies, though, I I, I definitely have to hand it to him. But I will say though, I I was I was gun shy from the other movies because I was expecting like within the first like thirty minutes, I kind of expected him like to jump out somewhere, going no 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 no, you know, or, or, <laughs> uh, or Bumblebee, you know. I was like, and then and then I was like, oh, he's not going to come out. Okay, okay, it's safe. No, like, you, I, you know what would have been the only appropriate uh, cameo for him? Mm-hmm. He's sitting in some like dark dirty apartment somewhere and he's watching the live video of the transformers fighting in chicago or hong kong and he sees bumblebee and he's just sitting there crying uh, with well, a I bottle mean, of alcohol in his hand that, that would have been a good cameo i mean he, he does he does make he does make kind of a cameo because bumblebee uses uh one of his voices is him from one of the other movies mm-hmm so there is like a quick thing about a quick snippet of it, but yeah, that would be funny though. <laughs> He's like a dentist. He looks like a dentist, <laughs> yes, <laughs> sitting in his own filth with just like Jack Daniels bottles and all over the place. Pretty much boxes. Pretty much his reality just, now. And it, and he looks up and he can just tell he's been crying for days, and he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> 
Bob. He's like, B. Oh. <laughs> As he reflects on what happened to his career. Yeah. <laughs> and then just fade to black. Oh. Cut back to the explosions. That should have been the stinger. <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. It would have been a great stinger. <laughs> so Maybe that'll be on the Blu-ray release. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> As to, um, well, yeah, another thing, um, I, I know that these movies just can't get away from doing, you know, the, uh, the offensive stereotypes with some of the robots. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, man, uh, Ken Watanabe as Drift. It's like, I, I know that Drift is a samurai inspired transformer anyway, but good God, did he have to actually be a samurai carrying a couple of swords and always calling Optimus Sensei. Oh wow, yeah. It's like that's just a little too over the top. Yeah, yeah. it's a little, a little bit much. And of course, uh, Crosshairs was uh, what, what, what was he more? It was like a outback Australian. <laughs> he was with with complete with the cloak, and um, you know, it's just yeah, the characters were a little too on the nose, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, but they were they were much more identifiable in this one. Too. That is true. So yeah. they're more oh, yeah. they were more you know for all the people bitching and complaining. Oh, they don't look like the cartoons, and I can this one you can't complain. Oh, yeah. They were mad cold. And you know what? The one thing I don't hear from any of the haters because if any other director did this, and they'd be like, oh, he thought of the fancy homage. They put in they put in uh, the old truck style of Optimus oh, yeah. in there. That heart and soul, he, man. Yeah, you had all that. I mean, so I just, I just, you know, it, it's it's just the culture. It's just because it's Michael Bay. Like I said, search and replace it. Put anybody else in there. It'd be, think Transformers do. fandom has the best culture. Yes, <laughs> they do. <laughs> they definitely do. Moving on to things I did enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some good casting in this movie. I think Kelsey Grammer made a really good yeah, villain as so just too. this really dark cold fascist guy yeah obsessed obsessed he's obsessed with exterminating the transformers and will stop at nothing to the point that he doesn't hesitate to order the extrajudicial killing of a teenage girl on american soil Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. (laughs) and that and that his heavy savoy has no problem doing that, which says to me that they've probably done stuff that bad or worse before. I mean, the because black- he didn't think twice about like, yeah, just let's kill the daughter to get information. Yeah, the blackest of ops, man. <laughs> he mentioned well, that earlier I mean, in the movie. It, 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 it definitely takes that you know what's been prevalent since nine eleven, where you have that you know in a lot of these movies and television shows, the nine eleven hysteria when something catastrophic happens and you, that's the kind of thing you get from it but you know like, the funny thing about that is you definitely see that especially since one of the opening yeah. shots is um Cade driving and there's that huge billboard that says remember chicago that's very yeah. like you know yeah remember new york remember like, you know like authoritarian FDNY. sort of thing yeah. yeah but the thing is even though there's sort of like the hints of that 9-11 hysteria it's kind of different because most of the world still believes that the Autobots are our friends and right. that we're cool with them. They have no idea that this guy is secretly hunting down Autobots, too, to the point that even the administration, whoever's president, they're completely in the dark about this and yeah. think it's just Decepticons being killed. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it adds a very dark element to it because, especially since the first three movies were so pro-American and especially so pro-U.S. military, and you kind of yeah, have the, the combination of, you know, 
the out-of-control surveillance state of these black CIA ops doing whatever the hell they want with total impunity and then combined with you know the corruption of the military industrial complex of working with uh, KSI to melt all these transformers and make new robots out of them and make money of course getting military contracts so two very unexpected themes for a Michael Bay movie yeah yeah like you do yeah. not come away from this movie thinking anything nice about the US government except for Cade if you do know that every time you pretty much see Cade there is a american flag nearby Except when he's in China. <laughs> yeah. The first part, yeah, pretty much that I thought was funny. But yeah. I, and uh, I, I, did, I did feel bad when, uh, when Rashi got killed because it's, it's Ratchet. Yeah. yeah. He's the medic. I mean, he's, he's the medic. He's like, hey, I'm your, I'm your friend. And this, this jerk is like, oh, if that's true, why are you running? Like, well, gee, because you're trying to illegally execute me. So what? Me running away <laughs> from you somehow proves my guilt? Like, what, what sense does that make? <laughs> yeah, what, I lost a sister in Chicago. Yeah, I was thinking because they lost Ratchet that they wouldn't be able to repair themselves. The Autobots, that is. And then um, there's that scene where Optimus Prime drives by another one of those trucks and then completely just self-repairs himself and transforms into that truck. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> well, he, he scanned. Yeah. Well, remember though, in, in this they, you know, he helps them, but they're um, they they've already established that the, there is regenerative abilities to their to their metal bodies. It just takes a little bit longer depending on the uh, type of uh, damage that they get. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I also like Stanley Tucci, and at first I thought that he was going to be just as ridiculous as John Turturro with his whole like. I'm a Steve Jobs reality bending distortion field and yeah. everything goes the way I say and you don't say these words and you don't do these things around me and blah, blah, blah. But I like that they wrote him to be such that once he realized that he'd been conned by Galvatron mm-hmm. and that he was just a sucker, that he made amends and actively started helping everyone instead of just being a tool. <laughs> yeah, he realizes that, you know, just because we were able to do this thing and I could have made money out of it, that all of a sudden it became bad that, you know what, I, I should suck it up and uh, help everybody, you know, stop this. So, you know, take that, uh, Silicon Valley. Maybe you should uh, uh, <laughs> watch that point. <laughs> yeah. And let's see what else. I also liked um, some of the Autobots they had. It was great having John Goodman as an Autobot because he's just always good That was at awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was awesome. I hadn't even been aware that he was in this movie going into it because I hadn't you know, yeah. done much digging into it. So that was uh, nice to have him there. Mm-hmm. I did like the way that they designed everyone. You can actually distinctly identify everyone, uh-huh. and they had more personality. So I think out of the four movies, this is the first one to really let them approach to be characters rather than just being props in the backgrounds for the humans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they still obviously don't get as much screen time, and I know that, you know, for the sake of these general audiences and not Transformers fans, the bias is always going to be on the stupid human characters. <laughs> I know that. I've accepted that. That's, that's the way it's going to be. The budget dictates it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm sure probably that's a lot of it, too. Yeah. You know, we're never going to primarily have the focus on them, but this movie, I think, let them be what they are for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an improvement. Uh, the audience also needs an avatar as well. 
They do. I, I, I've, I've come to realize that. It's like, if we got an old Transformers movie, we'll be watching Transformers Prime for the most part. I and, know, but it's like, yeah. the, the avatars are always so lame. Yeah, well, they could do a much better job of representing the people. I don't care about romances. I don't care about, you know. None of that has to be there. They could write a better, uh, they could write better humans. I wish they would. <laughs> and as far as, you know, uh, the, the humans that show up in this movie, I mean, yes, we have a significant Chinese presence, but uh, Solbro, did, did you see any black people in this movie? No, I... Because I sure as hell didn't. I didn't see, because Tyrese was, oh. was fired, so, you know, he wasn't in this one. He was like the black guy in these movies. Uh, you know, I think in the first the first movie had several black people, man. He had, uh, he had, he had uh, well, Bernie Mac, you had Anthony Anderson, you had his boy, yeah. and you third, had Tyrese. You had him. Third movie had a lot too, because remember yeah, Terry Tate and all those yeah, guys too. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess uh I guess black people just got the hell out of Dodge. They said, you know what, these transformers are gonna get us killed, but we ghost. We gone. Um but yeah, no, no black people to speak of. <laughs> At least none by none that had names to say that. Yeah, that, that was a little that's a little weird. Um let's see. What else? Um you know the the battles were were well done, and I mean it's kind of hard to keep doing these because obviously Bay has to keep topping himself. Yeah. But I think they they eased off a little bit from the destruction porn mm-hmm. in part three, and it felt a little bit more balanced. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And they did a decent job with the the Dinobots and just those images of Optimus riding Grimlock and you know spanking him with the uh, the sword. <laughs> to lead him into battle that was some good stuff like a granddaddy with his belt <laughs> and, and, I, and i and i like that they made a well like a jockey yeah but um i yeah. like that they made them so much bigger mm-hmm. than everybody else i mean were they that bigger that much are they that much bigger in the in the cartoons i mean nope. i thought no. yeah i didn't think Same so size. yeah i thought they were so mm-hmm. i like the, the point fact. that even the other autobots were like i was just expecting a big car what the, <laughs> what the hell is going on <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just let Optimus deal with this. I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, they were huge. So, yeah, it was good stuff. Anything else, Chris? Um, overall, enjoyable movie, but, you know, not without its problems the way it is with all of these movies. And I think really should have just been the one movie focusing on lockdown and explaining a lot of these things and then leave Galvatron for something rather than just wasting him yet again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, pro- I think probably too. Sometimes it's with all of these uh, these fans, these fan you know driven franchises. Sometimes between trying to balance between the you know the the uh, the general audience and trying to make the fans happy sometimes can be a little ridiculous. But all right, well, yeah, uh, my thoughts. Well, of course, I was excited going in there. I was waiting to see, and I, I felt a few. When I was in the movie theater, I felt a few childhoods get extinguished. I felt that in the in the Bay Force. Uh, <laughs> always, always feel that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of the points that were brought up, especially on the positive sides, I was, I was definitely down with. I mean, um, you know, the 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 fight sequences are, have gotten so much more better. Uh, you know, the styling of the Transformers are a little a little bit more organic than what they were in the other ones. Um, and, and, you know, and I kind of do like uh, a pissed off Optimus Prime. Oh, yes. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know even in the third movie, a lot of people were complaining about that, but you know, and, and what he had gone through in the success of movies, it's like after a while, you know, taking the high road and being, you know, I must protect all of, uh, 
you know, all living creatures, even though these living creatures are want to kill my ass, um, you know, after a while, it, sh- it shows in a way that he's, uh, you know, got some substance to his character. He's just, you know, quote unquote, a robot. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, de- I forgot to mention that, but I-, I did agree with Optimus's angry attitude. It's like you ungrateful piece of shit humans. We've, you know, fought yeah. and died to protect your planet. And this is how you pay us back. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like Chris stated, I like the fact of using, you know, the overreaching um, surveillance state and black ops affairs and, you know, these, uh, these, these groups where they're just, they're, they're given, they're given no, they have no accountability and they can just do whatever they want. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's one of those tales of some things that we've seen even, even in our, in our real world. And, uh, I agree. I, I thought, um, I thought Kelsey Grammer was pretty good at, at, as, as the, uh, as the heavy there. He really, he really sold it. And, um, you know, with, uh, Stanley Tucci, I, I was the same way. I was like, at first he was a little annoying. I was like, oh no, this isn't what this is going to be. But then it was nice to see a, uh, a tech guy have a heart of gold at the end, you know, realizing that's not all about just making a, a quick buck or, um, you know, things like that. So mm-hmm. that, that was cool. Um, yeah, the Galvatron, Megatron thing, but you know, we've seen that in all the other movies. So at this point, I I just come to expect it, so <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter at that point. Um, yes, the thing with the Dinobots, I mean, my God, talk about transporting you back to a ten year old kid. My God, that was the coolest damn thing. Robotic giant dinosaurs being ridden by another robot and destroying everything. My God, if if that's not being a kid, what is? You know, what what more would you want as a, as a kid? <laughs> so um yeah that that was definitely some great stuff so i mean i think overall for what these movies are i mean i i think we have to come to the thing that these are big summer blockbuster escapist movies that are made for general audiences that have enough there to keep the fan the the diehard fans interested and i think when you start looking at that, because if you start really breaking it down, I mean, this is a movie about alien robots that transform into vehicles that come to our Earth. I mean, it's right, ridiculous. But even, even with, you know, the you know, suspension of disbelief, I'm, I'm not sold on this attitude anymore of, oh, it's just a big, dumb movie and you should expect it to be that way. Like, yeah. Just because it's a movie for general audiences and it making any logical sense in its plot, the two things are not mutually exclusive. No. And in the summer, we've it's had... Not, it's not mutually exclusive, but we've seen this for a long time. And, I know, and, but I don't like we, it. We, 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 I don't we, have to like it. No, you don't have to, <laughs> and, you, and you don't have to like it, but there, this is what people want. I mean, Is if, it really it, what they want, though? Yeah, it's well, just what they're used to because that's what Hollywood keeps feeding them. Well, when people go out and they buy, and then Hollywood believes that's what people want. Well, when people go yeah. out and they buy, they buy tickets for this movie continuously, and it makes hundreds of millions of dollars. That that is a vote in the direction that they want another one of these movies. But in yeah. a in a summer, in a summer where we've gotten so many in, in a summer and in, in incredible sequels, we're talking uh, the Winter Soldier and Days of Future Past and How to Train Your How to How to Train, how your, to dra- train your Dragon How to Train Your Dragon Two. Holy shit! It's a Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> So many dope ass sequels, man. I would hope that uh, a, a, a series that is an adaptation of a property 
would be able to step their game up too, just like those movies did. And maybe well, tra- Spider Man Two didn't. Yeah, Spider Man Two is definitely on the low end of that spectrum, L- much lower than this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. But um, this movie, I would hope that for Part Five, because we know Part Five is coming, that they'll step their game up. Maybe Bay will step down, and they'll get another director in there. Maybe someone like Neil Blomkamp, who's who's got a who's got a penchant for stuff like this, for like visual effects and 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 making pretty dope set pieces and definitely get a new writer in there holy shit please retire um uh aaron kruger because uh i I don't know why he keeps getting work i just heard the other day he just got uh the um the go-ahead to write a script for disney for dumbo a live action dumbo it's like really is there only four writers in hollywood (laughs) i mean honestly much god dang it man it's just it's 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 a it's a closed feedback loop dude it's these guys who write these crappy movies that make money not because of those guys but despite those guys it's like well you know these guys are successful so let's keep hiring these same guys exactly and it's like unlike me really on michael bay who has a pretty solid success record and he's entertained me over the years i can definitely shit all over aaron kruger and i will until he steps down because the man can't write shit and i and i respect that because i if you're gonna sit there and say okay the writing yeah because you know uh, I've always contended, as you know, especially with these uh, Transformers movies, that sometimes Michael Bay gets too much of the blame yeah. for some of the things that are bad with the writing, and it's just because you know we've seen this. Oh God, it's been going on forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, the quote-unquote nerd culture, which is really just the wannabe hipster culture now, because mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of idiots wearing uh, ironic Stormtrooper t-shirts, and they think they know everything <laughs> about everything. It sounds like, sounds like you read into a lot of that at Anime Expo. <laughs> well, I, I, do, I do live in Southern California, too. Oh, no. So, um, but, I mean, it's just, there is a hate, there is a hate thing on it, and, and, yeah. and, and it's just, you know, um, I, I saw the reviews of the movie. People were shitting all over the movie, mm-hmm. but yet, I mean, you can sit there and say, is it really what people want? Yes, there's probably a great amount of people out there that are open-minded. And, you know, guess what? Uh, maybe the three of us are some open-minded people when it comes to things. That's great. Yeah. But a lot of people, and you have to realize, too, a lot of these things now, they're catered for kids. I mean, I see that with these type of movies, too, because let's be honest. Uh, what comes up as one of the credits after you know the, the title <laughs> sequence is Hasbro. Of course, you know Hasbro wants to make the, you know they're they're in the business of making toys, mm-hmm. and and they want to get their new clientele. Just like what you know happened with the Star Wars prequels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know there comes a point where maybe these things are you know they're mass marketed for what they are mass marketed for. Granted. Do, is there were there story elements in this that I probably would want better? Sure, I got no problem with that. But I, I the, the the nitpicking and a lot of the nitpicking that I heard about this is ridiculous. And I I think a lot of it just comes from the point of people just there's just this it you know it's one of these things that you say it enough times you know we see it in anything you know people are so oh, Michael Bay sucks Michael Bay sucks Michael you know everybody starts believing that so they always go in with a uh, um, you know, a, a jaded thing. It, it's actually refreshing to hear Solbro, um, you know, ha- be be a little bit different. And even Chris, to an extent, saying, mm-hmm. sitting there saying, "Hey, you know, it's it's not just because of Michael Bay." Yeah, you got to look at mm-hmm. you got to look because, at the root of the problem. And yeah. if the script is bad, uh, it's it's hard to make a good movie out of a bad script. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, and, and 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 that's the thing. And, and you know, it, you know, uh, 
like I, like I've always said too, for these four movies, who's who's that top executive producer? Oh, guy named Steven Spielberg. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, there there comes a point where you have to look at this, and yeah, um, can things be tightened? Yes. Is there perfect movies out there? There's very few perfect movies out there. I mean, very very few. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of great movies, but even a lot of the great movies have a lot of things. But 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 I, I will show you one of the before we go to our ratings. I'll, I'll show you a thing that really that I did some research on. Yes, this is shocking, mm-hmm. and <laughs> that that just illustrates the point that I think with any of these Transformers movies, people go in with just uh, they have a veil over their face because I went to something you know website Rotten Tomatoes. Everybody loves Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm looking at the tomato meter for Age of Extinction of Childhoods. It's 17. Mm-hmm. percent The audience gave it a 56. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things you'd have to say about Age of Extinction is at least it was an original story. Uh, because I, I use the example of a, another movie came out last year, mm-hmm. Star Trek Into Dumbness. Right. Tomato meter, 87%. Uh, audience, 90%. And talk about uh, a story with the bat uh, that was all over the place and took an original story and just shit all over it. So <laughs> it's proof positive here that I think if. Uh, it's based on just this it's the hipster factor and for whatever reason right now the hipster factor on, on uh, you know that they just don't like Michael Bay. So yeah, I, I won't deny that that, yeah. that that the critics have it out for Michael Bay. I can't yeah. deny that at all. And a lot of them still don't put aside their bias in order to review yeah. this movie evenly. But there are problems with this movie. Because I'm not I'm not going <laughs> to sit here. I'm not, well, but but here's the thing, and yeah. everybody always goes, oh, you're the Michael Bay apologize. I'm not apologizing for it, mm-hmm. but I do see the movie, and I. I'm not going to sit here and say, I mean, we're going to give our ratings and, hey, spoiler alert, I'm not going to give it a perfect score because it doesn't, it doesn't, are there issues with it? Yeah, there are a few issues with it, Mm -hmm. but overall, I enjoyed it because you know what? At the end of the day, when I was done watching the movie, I sat there and said, wow, that was a good few hours that I, I spent. And it may, you know, and I had some of the great things where it made me feel like just a dumb kid again looking at some of this stuff. And that's what I was expecting. So, uh, nerd hipsters, Go F yourself, and I hope you all die. And I can't wait a year from now when your Lord Jesus Christ, uh, JJ, fla- flash them all, JJ, destroy Star Wars. So that, 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 that'll be even funny. But, if we can only get rid of your JJ bias. There's no JJ bias. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going by the crap that's in front of me. Oh, man. He's done. I've, I've enjoyed, really enjoyed from point A to point B. One movie, Mission Impossible 3. They'll talk, talk about the other side of the pillow. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man. All right, so now we'll go to some rating. Anything else before we go to ratings? No, that's it. Uh, if, if anything, uh, I'm ready to rate it. All right, so, bro, if you're ready to rate it, then if you would have to give it a rating, which you have to do. Uh, which, well, I, yeah. which I will. I would give it three refreshing Bud Lights out of five. The product placement in this movie was nuts. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's getting nuts in every movie. Oh, it is. But it was, it was, it was pretty nuts here with the, the, the freaking Bud Light scene. Oh, my God. It yeah, was a blood object. Light. It was a Bud Light scene. Oh, man, just took crack that shit on the door of the car. What you got to say, buddy? And then takes a swig. That shit looks so good. That, just zoom in on, like, all of the broken Bud Light bottles so you can see the logo turn up <clears> perfectly in all of them. And shouldn't you be sad at all of these Bud Lights? I'm like, no, I hate Bud Lights. Step on those and throw those away. <laughs> 
Hey, if they were lime maritas, that'd be a different story. <laughs> Maybe, but they weren't. Oh man! But yeah, that's that's my rating. Three. Hey, would you would have made? Would you been okay if there was a Bud Light missile? A Bud? Oh man, a Bud Weiser missile? That would have that would have added the extra. Well, star. this would have been a Bud Light missile. Yeah. <laughs> Because they're at least been sanctioned. Hey, but. man. If, if, if there was that, I would have to revise my score. All right. So Solbro gives it three Bud Lights out of five. Uh, Chris, what do you what do you uh, rate? Transformers, Age of Extinction, Surveys, Classic Opus for 2014. I'll give this one three dead ratchets out of five. Ooh, three dead ratchets. Man. Well, I will finish up the ratings of I will give a four change of heart uh, tech and Randians. <laughs> out of five. <laughs> what? So uh, that was uh, our review of Surpay's Magnum Opus, Transformers Age of Extinction of All Childhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back in a little bit. You're listening to Gundam and MAHQ. Greetings, I am Andrew Cook, the host of Pretentious Internet Theatre. Each month, I bring you the finest in literature that internet fan fiction has to offer. Join us, won't you, at tinyurl.com slash pitpodcast. Remember, there is much drama on the internet, but only the best makes Pretentious Internet Theatre. We're looking for a few good new types. Over the last couple of months, the Gundam Nation has been getting together to play Mobile Suit Gundam Extreme Versus. We call those sessions EX Versus the Gundam Nation. Well, we as a group recently upgraded to the sequel to Extreme Versus, known as Full Boost. We're inviting you to come on out and play the new game with us. Even if you don't have the game, you can watch our live stream and also join in the conversation that we hold on Skype during the stream as well. It's not only a gaming session, but a social event for mecha and anime fans as well. If you have the game, you can add the PSN ID, the Gundam Nation, which is the tag that we use to network all the players for the sessions. Also, make sure to add to your Skype the contact of Shinjuku-Station. So you can have a chance to join the Skype conversation during the stream. If you want to watch the stream live, make sure to head on over to twitch.tv slash fighters ready and follow us there so you can be alerted to when our streams begin. If you missed any of our sessions, head over to youtube.com slash and you'll find a lot of our sessions that we've already had archived there. Just be in mind that the conversations held in these sessions may not be safe for work. For more details on the event, make sure you visit Gundam.net and click on the EX versus the Gundam Nation section. If you enjoy the game, the podcast, or Gundam in general, then you owe it to yourself to come on out to EX versus the Gundam Nation. We'll see you there. Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time.
to <coughs> Gundam at MAHQ, and in our continuing series of reviews, we're going to be discussing Volume 6 of Vertical's release of Gundam The Origin. This time it's subtitled To War. So briefly, we pick up with Shar being in the Xeon Military Academy, where he quickly excels in every conceivable aspect and earns the ire of Garmazabi, who even at this stage is, you know, a pampered fool mm-hmm. who thinks that he's the top shit just because his name is Zabi. Of course. That entitlement. <laughs> yep. So Shar does some things. Uh, they're doing some survival drills jogging with their equipment and Garma while attempting to one-up Shar ends up injuring himself so Shar helps him uh, hobble over to the finish line and thus earns his friendship but of course we know that that's not sincere and that he's just playing this guy mm-hmm. so the two of them become bros and he uh, pulls an Amaro of questioning a superior and embarrassing him which ends up getting him demoted and thus Garma ends up being the top graduate when otherwise it would have been Shar. We also see that the situation between the Federation and the Zeon is not going too well with the Zeon lurching more towards independence and that's not helped by a comet hitting side three and the Federation's bungling actions before it and their response to it. And then on top of that, we have Shar convincing Garma that they should conduct a daring raid on the Federation garrison there to uh, show them what's what and who's who, which they do do and shocks pretty much everybody involved, most of all Dozel. (laughs) And the uh, end result of that being that Shar gets kicked out of the academy and uh, on his way out, he says to Dozel, hey, um... So I heard about these uh, secret mobile suit things, and if you ever get those figured out, I'd love to be a pilot of those. I'm just going to go chill on Earth for a while. And then we switch to Earth, and we have uh, Char's first encounter with Lala, where she's with some shady guys in Brazil, and they're using her new type abilities for gambling. Mm-hmm. So he ends up rescuing her and obviously establishing that relationship. And interestingly... At the same time in space, we see the buildup for the first mobile suit battle in history because we know from the anime continuity that the first mobile suit battle was Amuro killing his first Zaku. Mm -hmm. But even in the origin, we knew that wasn't the case because we had the Zaku's fight the RX-78-1 before that. However, as it turns out now, that wasn't even the first battle. What we find out is the first mobile suit battle occurred on the moon with a bunch of Zakus and gun cannons because, as it turns out, the Federation's mobile suit development program isn't going so hot. But Professor Minofsky is unsatisfied with Xeon and decides to defect to the Federation. And it's going to happen on the moon. So you have the Federation scrambling to protect him, and then the Xeon dispatch a squad to make sure that he does not defect, and this squad piloting a bunch of Zaku-1s includes Char, Rambaral, and the Black Tri-Stars. 
<laughs> what a what a crew. <laughs> so even with a bunch of like you know uh, like strings and sticks, these guys are a pretty formidable team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as you would expect, they wipe the floor with the gun cannons and they kill Minofsky. So the first mobile suit battle in history ends up being a case of corporate espionage. Pretty much. That's pretty crazy. And we also find out that the <clears throat> RX-77 was designed by Temray and, you know, his reputation ends up going downhill because he also was the apprentice of Minofsky. And they're like, well, you suck and your gun cannons suck. He's like, hey, you know, the gun cannons were not meant for this kind of fight. And I got this covered. I got this new design, RX-78. He also wants a uh, multi-gravity environment to test it in, which pretty much spurs the halted development of side seven and thus gives us that um, sealed off area that we saw way back in volume one where all of that testing was going on. Mm-hmm. So we move forward and Tem tells Amuro that they're going to be heading up to space and living on side seven. Amuro of course is antisocial, has no friends except for Frau who's always checking in on him. And we see in school that Kai runs with a bad crowd. No surprise. <laughs> who knew <laughs> they convince Amuro and Hayato and some other guys to come along for a joy ride and that joy ride includes stealing a truck and busting into the under construction section of side seven which ends up with the truck getting full of a bunch of bullets mm-hmm. and all these soldiers threatening these kids and checking their IDs when they see who Amuro is he gets taken aside of course while everyone else gets the shit beaten out of them ah! <laughs> Which, understandably, uh, <laughs> irritates, creates, irritates them and creates the ire that we see later on for Amuro and his dad being a weapons developer. Exactly. And as that storyline plays out, we see more things happening with Zeon's military buildup, and we end right at the beginning of the biggest action with the declaration of the one-year war and the start of Operation British. Yeah. So, Neo, what were your thoughts on Volume 6? Well, heck, a lot of stuff in here. And really, you know, putting, you know, as we see, this is starting to get towards the time period that we're used to. You know, we're used to 0079, um, you know, some of the things that are happening here. And we see that we're right at this point. It was nice to see uh, the relationship between Shar and Garma as it's hinted to in the first Gundam. And, and, you know, and we can see that even back then, uh, Shar had a plan. And, um, you know, somehow, oh, I'm going to speak up all of a sudden and then get demoted down to second, you know, uh, the salutatorium. Instead of the Val Victorian, so um, you know, just to kind of pump up because he he can see what garment is, and uh, even their introduction at the beginning it's kind of funny because you know garment comes in and he's got like all his little fancy pants boys with them like do you know who this is and Char's just you know playing it cool, so um, and then definitely uh, some good stuff with uh, him and Lala because we get to see why she's so infatuated with him and so loyal to him uh, later on. 
And, you know, a lot of it is, it can be said, oh, the new type stuff. But we also see that, you know, they're, they're what he's doing, uh, what he did for her, uh, getting her out of prostitution and stuff like that. So, uh, um, that definitely good stuff. But I, I'd probably have to say, uh, the crowning jewel has got to be all the maneuvering with the corporate espionage with Anaheim and Zionic, um, the first mobile suit battle that we see with uh, Ron Baral, Shar, and the Black Tri-Star is just uh, taking it to, oh gosh, uh, what about, I think what, something like 15 of the gun cannons. And it makes sense because, you know, even if this was in the regular continuity, why would the Federation ever release this? You know, they got humiliated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, and, and it was, it was kind of cool to see Shar in Izaku 1. Oh, yeah. I, I got to say, I mean, all three of the guys in Azaku one, and you can see why that these guys were so formidable, um, you know, at the beginning of the war. Um, you know, we know a little bit about uh, the Black Tri-Stars and Shars exploits, but, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see in the next volume how Rambaral fits in all of this, because um, according to the, con- the regular continuity uh, the Tri-Stars and Char at Loom, I'm wondering if Ron Baral's there too, or if he's at another, if they put him somewhere else. That, that'll be kind of interesting to see. Um, and then, of course, uh, Tim Ray's explanation of like, hey, they're like, yeah, you screwed up, you built this thing. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, back in the day when tanks first came out, they were for infantry. And then, you know, a couple years later, they were now tanks hunting tanks. And he's like, you know, the gun cannons, they were for infantry. Um, infantry support and, and, and intimidation of other infantry. And he's like, these Zakus, they are, they are down for, uh, you know, mobile suit on mobile suit violence. So, um, that, that was cool. And, and then, of course, the, you know, a little bit more fleshing out the whole situation at side seven with Armoro and Kai and them and, and really kind of explaining why, uh, Armoro is kind of the outcast where it's mm-hmm. like, hey, um, you know, you, you got that free get out of jail free card. Um, when we get caught, but I'm surprised those kids didn't get killed because they got a lot of a lot of um, a lot of uh, machine gun fire on them. Ooh, holy <laughs> so stuff! Like wow, I was I was very surprised to see they, uh, they were no lucky they get, they got a bunch of corrections instead. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'd rather have corrections than um, bullets. Uh, bullets in the face. But yeah, so but and then I mean and just great great fashion hey we're just going to show the up and up beginning of the first battle of the one year war and it's like you know we we know from this point on it's on so um definitely some great stuff really uh really accelerates the pace of the flashbacks and really we see that great bridge of kind of the prequel stuff with what we basically know of the one year war you know of course based on the origin side so but back to you chris so bro well well man uh i i really enjoyed this read man uh i i there were some things that were presented in this manga that we didn't even get to see in the tv show of course the backstories and whatnot but it was cool to see uh von brown city and granada um in this yeah. and the politics between uh Zionic and anaheim electronics which i 
I guess they they finally mentioned by name in this volume. Um, but to see them and and kind of to see how everything began there and how rough around the edges their technology was in comparison to Zionic's advances and the ad, ad, the advantage that Zionic had by having uh, Doctor Manovsky on deck. Um, I always re- I did remember that Manovsky did try to defect, and it was really cool to see that all play out as tragically as it did. Um, and to see also the first sortie with the, uh, the, the Zionic mobile suit pilots versus the, uh, the under, uh, the outclass federation pilots, I should say. <laughs> Those guys, it was a 10-0 matchup. <laughs> Those guys didn't stand a chance. It was so bad. Um, but, uh, just to see Tim Ray's insecurities and to see what makes him tick and how kind of self-absorbed he is. Uh, and, and the fact that, you know, he's just carting his son around because, you know, his son is his and he wants to show him uh, his genius and his brilliance, but yet he's not there to rear his son because he's too busy with his projects. It's kind of like a, a, uh, a, a noticeable juxtap- just, um, juxtaposition. And it just shows how removed Amaro is in his own little world because he's been left on his own for so long. I, 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 what I really appreciated about this volume is the connection that him and, uh, Frau build over time <clears throat> and that um and the little the little uh depiction with uh with haro what her nagging her well no the it's the, it's not so much that you gotta and, eat armor well, you gotta do this. she's concerned about him and that's his neighbor and she's just doing the neighborly thing they're they're both the same age she's taking a shine to him even though he's an outcast but they're in the same classes um she lives he lives at the street she's taking care of him because that's just in her nature to do that and um, when she breaks down because of the war starting and she's just all freaked out because of all the violence that's going on outside of the side seven, you know, it's 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 really concerning. And I love the fact that he finally drops his 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 separation uh, that he that he that he has with her in order to uh, kind of uh, also relay that he's he's been pretty worried about the, the state of uh, affairs with the uh, with the one year war just beginning. Um and uh, that to me was like a, the, the standout scene of the volume to me. Um, aside from the the stuff with Shar, like uh, his fight with the dude with the chakram, holy shit! <laughs> oh my god, that was like the that was so badass. Uh, I guess that was one of his first new type moments because I love how the chakram cuts the uh, the um, the 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 shovel that he has in his hand he's using the shovel to defend himself from the chakram it cuts it make, making a a pointed edge and he dodges the chakram maybe because of a new type flash or something Thru- sh- uh thrusts it into that uh that bodyguard's chest and then the chakram goes right into his head and it's like wow shar you are you you are this is this is this is the beginning of a of a true villain i love this guy <laughs> And the the adventures that he gets into, the fact that he was um he was working on the construction of Jabiro also gives us a little insight on the fact that he knew where Jabiro was because he helped to work on the construction of that. And and the fact that he was playing as if he was uh an outcast uh from Zionic from the Zionic Corporation because he was a quote unquote Earthnoid. Um the fact that he was he was putting up a facade while he was on Earth in order to kind of, you know, see the inside of what, how the Federation was going to be building their stronghold. He was, he was kind of gaming the system even way back then um, in order to see what was going on with the Federation while he was away on Earth. And then, of course, he runs into um, Lala, and they, they form a bond, and that whole thing played out a little differently than I expected. I, I always thought that she was kind of like, uh, I mean, I, I hopefully it doesn't, doesn't offend some people, but I always heard that she was a prostitute. Um, 
And I didn't realize that she, well, maybe the, the origin rewrites her past, which is cool. I'm fine with that. Um, but the fact that she was kind of being used as a, as, as a tool to predict the outcome of gambling was, was kind of a nice touch. I, I like that, uh, reinvention of her character, but, um, I, it was, it was cool to see her introduced. I know Neo's not a big fan of hers. <laughs> so I'm interested to hear what you have to say once I, once we get to you. But, um, uh, the whole, uh, I'll wrap it up with the, um, the big thing with uh, Tim Ray and realizing that the RX-77 is a piece of garbage and that he has to go back to the drawing board. That was interesting to see. Um, and then you, you kind of see the, uh, the beginning of the RX-78 and its development behind the bulkhead at Side 7. And the fact that Side 7 was built with the development of the Gundam in mind. So um, that, was, uh, that was cool to see that all unfold also. So it's a very informative volume. And it helps to bridge the gap, as Neo said, uh, leading up to present day. I guess all we have left is the Battle of Loom before we kind of jump back into uh, the fray and get back to present the time. The next volume is. Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to reading that and seeing how well Char and the uh, Black Tristars perform. And also seeing um, uh, Lieutenant, uh, not Lieutenant Rebel, but uh, General Rebel get captured. That's going to be really awesome to see. Because General Rebel had a small moment in this, and he, he uh, suggested that someone in on the zombie side commit uh harakiri or seppuku or whatever and and no one's down with doing that shit so <laughs> that was an interesting conversation um oh yeah um dozel proposed to zena Z- i guess they introduced zena in this volume who of course we know becomes his wife and gives birth to uh minerva so it was it was cool to see how they met and then he uh kind of gives an indecent proposal to her and uh we all know that she accepts. So uh that was that was a nice little touch as well. But back to you, Neo. Uh, back to Chris. Oh yeah, back, back sorry, me. back to you, Chris. Oh my god, where am I? <laughs> I don't know, where are you? <laughs> and I, and, I'm and on and side seven. Said, <laughs> and I already said something about uh Lala. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh you so, did. Yeah, so, so let me. I just said it was nice to see that, you know, they kind of flush out how they got together and stuff like that. That, that is so. true. That is true. So I would definitely agree that this volume ties together a lot of threads from the flashbacks we've had before this, but also, you know, the stuff from the present, yeah. mainly Shar and Garma's relationship. Mm-hmm. And we see how Shar is playing him from, from day one, from word one. And then you think back to Garma's volume. And, you know, how he held Shar in such high regard. And you think to yourself, man, this guy is so freaking clueless. He oh. just had no idea that he's being played from the first day and that this guy he thinks is his good friend has just been setting him up the whole freaking time. Just yeah. so oblivious to this. And, mm-hmm. it, and it kind of reinforces the fact of how kind of hapless and hopeless he was during uh, first Gundam when he's, you know, when... Shar so easily able to kind of trick him to go into battle against the white base. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, you know, he's all, he's surrounded by a bunch of yes men. So when he finally right. meets someone who challenges him, that intrigues him. It's like a moth to the flame, and it's so interesting to see how how badly manipulated he's being by Shar. It's it's so great. <laughs> and one little bit that I like is there's a little brief scene back on Texas Colony. And you hear Shar's parents, the real Shar's parents, talking about, oh, we, we've never heard from our son ever since he yeah. went to the military academy. It's like <laughs> just bringing back to your mind that horrible thing that Casval did. <laughs> did to the real Shar back in Volume yeah. 5. Never forget. 
that it's was like, yeah, pretty there's, awesome. There's a reason you don't hear about uh, your son anymore, <laughs> which makes me wonder, you know, if we're going to see a scene in the next volume where the real Shar's parents they hear about their quote unquote son becoming this famous mobile suit pilot at the Battle of Loom, and like, what would they think? You know, about their son becoming this famous war hero when obviously it's really not their son if they survive mm-hmm. the one week battle. Oh, so who knows what happens to them, mm-hmm. given that Texas is a wasteland later on. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a good little interlude. I did like the focus on Amro and starting to establish his character more, and that even his dad calls him out for being such a slob. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is pretty funny. I mean, wasn't there some some point he's like, he's like, God, just put on some pants or something. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you in the underwear, man, put some pants on. God dang it. <laughs> awesome. And I did like them showing, you know, what it is that sets Amuro apart from the other guys in the colony and why they resent him. So that was nice to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was good to see. Shar and Lala's first meeting and establishing that bond. I also liked a lot how they had this focus, as Neo had mentioned, on the corporate espionage, but also national espionage between Anaheim and Zionic, but also more broadly the Federation and Zion, because this is corporate espionage that had geopolitical consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the other thing I liked, uh, kind of a, you know, and, and you see this kind of in like the last quarter of the book is, you know, this buildup. And we know, you know, it's, it's that you're basically in that Cold War tense moment because everybody knows that this stuff is going beyond the point of no return. They're going to war. And they go to, like, they show, I think, like, Frau's parents and then a couple other people like, man, I just wonder what's going to happen with the war. And then and then you're even seeing with Armoro when he's just, like, tinkering with stuff where he's got it back in the background. You know, oh, this happened and blah, blah, blah. It's really kind of setting up the mood. And that that's where, you know, those last few pages where they show, oh, well, this happened. And then, you know, and you're like, oh. Well, I actually wouldn't even compare it to the Cold War. I'd compare it more well, I'm, I'm, to I'm not talk- yeah, I wasn't to saying World Cold War II. World War II, the the buildup of yeah. Nazi Germany, where they were putting on this public appearance of, oh, you know, we're just you know chilling and having fun with our Third Reich, and then secretly we're building up this huge army. I thought it was interesting. Later on, this detail we find out that uh, Musais are converted civilian ships. Yeah, that was interesting too. And that the Chibes are the first actual battleships they're building, mm-hmm. and that they have this enclosed colony where they've been secretly building up this massive fleet. So that yeah. was a nice little detail. The Dark Colony, hell yes. Yeah. Um, I cannot wait to see an animation eventually at some point this moon battle with <clears throat> Ramba Rall, Shar, and the Black Tri Stars all on the same team. Oh my gosh, this. The freaking Zeon Dream Team, right there. It man. is the Dream Team. The Zeonic Supergroup. <laughs> no, it's the Zeon Dream Team. Oh man, this is like the the Dream Team in Olympic basketball. Like, oh man, freaking all All Stars Hall of Famers. You know, <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it, de- it definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it, it it's it's uh. There's a lot going on in this book and. But what makes it really nice is they don't spend too much on 
too many things and they don't go into, you know, oh, we could go a little bit further this way. It's just like, okay, let's kind of touch upon these things. We'll show the bridge, you know, with these different characters. And you can just tell in the whole mood of the book that the whole tide of everything is about the change. And, you know, it's, it's, it's that perfect segue of, okay, we have this peaceful, tense time of you know all this build up and you know this is what's kind of happening and guess what next uh, next volume mm-hmm. uh, armageddon <laughs> not the survey movie but you know so. i also like um the interplay we see between degwin and Garen, yeah. that Degwin basically is content with the status quo of just having his little kingdom and letting that be that mm-hmm. but that Garen has these you know global ambitions of ruling all of Earth and space, and Degwin really doesn't want to go to war, but Garen keeps causing all of these provocations and keeps pushing things yeah. in that direction. He's starting to realize the skullduggery he caused when um, orchestrating the death of uh, Zeum Sumdaikun is kind of unfolding a lot uh, a lot worse than he ever envisioned. I, I, I guess he never factored in that his son is going to be a megalomaniac. <laughs> Which well, makes no. me wonder why Degwin didn't just remove him from power unless he thought that at this even at this point in 0078 that it's too late and that Garen probably has too many lackeys loyal to him installed yeah. in too many places well, across Deg- the government. Degwin's soft spot has always been his children though. Like yeah. you know, he it's it's definitely his blind spot. He's not he's not a dumbass or anything like that. He knows what's coming, but at the same time he's never been able to be effective in stopping them from what they want to do. And the only one he really had sway over was Garma, but even then, Garma went off the rails in this very volume, so it's it's starting to spiral out of his control and he's just gonna have to sit back and watch watch the tragedy unfold. <laughs> well it's it's it well I think though too we see in this this volume and the like uh, pre, the the previous volumes where you kind of go in a little bit more with Dagwin where mm-hmm. I think Chris kind of hits it on the head where he's really content on just his overall plan was hey I just want to have my own little place and he's just so happy with it that he just kind of loses sight and like you said he's got the soft spot for his kids mm-hmm. uh, that he's not going to meddle too much with them but then not realizing that you know hey these these are you know sociopaths that you're talking about and uh, I think I think you I get kind of the sense of when in this volume that he during that whole exchange that he doesn't want it to happen he would like to get him out of power but I think it's that fear factor, like you said, Chris. Like, there's too many of his, um, you know, too many of his followers, Tagiran's followers, within uh, embedded in too many, too much of the government. That and and we know that they're there because, like, for example, uh, we saw in 0080 Colonel Killing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight up, uh, Giran worshiper, right there. So we know that there's even guys who aren't uh, sycophants but are still drinking the Kool Aid, like. Gear and flavor, like like Del, like uh, Delas and uh, and Gato, um, Gato, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So we we know that those fanboys, as it were, are out there. Yeah. <laughs> and it was nice to see old uh, Cassilia go under uh, cover there to help, um, you know, get some of that information. Oh, and, you you must you know. be Lady Catherine. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> As that guy I, died, I feel, I feel like the dumbass that was supposed to be her boyfriend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, ma'am, I mi- don't you mean Catherine? Like, oh, uh, sorry, ma'am, I mean Catherine. Uh, <laughs> shut up, you, you talk too much. 
And then that poor bastard, it's just like, Ooh. oh, you. <laughs> that just shows. But I mean, you know, gosh, you just you just see the whole thing, and it's like, you know, through all these successive episodes or volumes up to this point, we see that. God, the Federation, how dumb are they? It's just so in plain sight. And, you know, instead of just taking care of the situation, they just allow these dumbasses, you know, here, have your own little military school and stuff. We'll, we'll send somebody over. But, you know, and, and it, it really shows the incompetency of the, uh, the Federation government and the military and, like, really identifying the, the threat and, you can you can almost kind of literally underneath their noses of that Xeon Academy. Ooh. Yeah, and you can kind of and it, and it kind of reinforces kind of the the hatred and the animosity that even the Federation citizens have towards the the Federation. And after the one year war, where it's just like you know what the hell? It's like yeah, we're part of the Federation. They're better than Xeon, but my God, they're idiots too. So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's uh, kind of funny. I mean, obviously, this volume was written a couple of years ago, but uh, coming out now, I think it's pretty timely that there's a section where <clears throat> there's a lot of construction going on in Brazil that the people are unhappy about, but yeah. they can't yeah, do anything. Right. Wow. It's holy. like, boy, that's, it's like, that sounds familiar. That's, uh, that is eerie. <laughs> holy, sh- <laughs> holy shit. Man. Yo, that, yeah. that World Cup, man. <laughs> Man, um, Federation Cup, the Federation Cup, man, and 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 they come to fill it with all the money and then take it with them. <laughs> yeah, but uh, ah, man, I I just I was I was I was I was dumbstruck by this uh by this volume, man, and how 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 just chock chock loaded with content it was. Um, man, uh, but but Chris, uh, any 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 other thoughts you had? No, uh, it's a very solid volume and. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, I'm glad that uh, we're getting closer to the present, so to speak, and catching up with all this backstory, which has all been enlightening and entertaining. So I'm very curious to see the little explored early stages of the one-year war. Yeah, because, I mean, after completing this volume, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, man, we're finally going to see the Battle of Loom in its entirety. We're going to finally see, you know, the, the Tri-Stars capture Rebel, Char... I'm sure we'll even get stuff. What was it? Wasn't Johnny Ridden supposedly there too? And all this. So, I mean, you'll probably we may even get that stuff. But I'm looking forward. He's always sat and ignored because he just happens to like the color red too. And it's like, yeah, wrong. (laughs) Should have chosen something else, buddy. And and I hope in the next volume we get the um, as corny as it sounds. I kind of want to hear the the Zeon is exhausted speech. Oh man, because it's kind of cool because. You know, it, this is probably a point where the you know after all the devastation that happens and Rebel getting caught, I'm sure the Federation wanted to uh, capitulate. But uh, I mean, just think of the fact of like this guy escapes and is like, hey, uh, yeah, um, th- these guys don't have too much ma- man or materials. Uh, if we do this in a long term engagement, they're not they're not going to win. So yeah, I don't know. All right, well, let's close out by going around the table with ratings. So Neo. Uh, I'd have to give this uh, four out of five gun cannon kills. <laughs> All right, Solbro. I'm gonna have to give this a four point five smacked off visors out of five. Pick it up. <laughs> I'm gonna give this one four out of five chakram beheadings. There you go. Hell yes. Now that was an execution. <laughs> 
So, so Char, Romberall, and the Black Tri-Stars, they were almost kind of like unofficial aces before the war even began. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I think you need, what, five or something like that? So Yeah. I, yeah, so there you go. Well, that'll wrap up this segment. And, of course, we'll be coming back to this well again in the fall to discuss Volume 7. So listen for that in the near future. We'll be right back. You're listening to Gundam at MAHQ. Hey man, is that Gundam? Yeah, man. Well, turn it up, man. From a time long ago, in a basement far away, there comes a time when there's only one hero to protect us all from the trolls, warranted and unwarranted. Is it him? Against Gundam Sea Destiny. It appears destiny is firmly on my side. What? There stands a man who alone will defend the honor of said show for all to enjoy. Something that shouldn't have been allowed to exist, boy! Just shut up! His name rings out and is like curses to those evil doers. If people learned of your existence, they would want to be just as you are! That name? Chairman 025, Defender of Destiny! You shouldn't blame me! This is mankind's dream! Mankind's desire! Mankind's destiny! Coming this fall on WSBR, your home for DVR hits. Wow, this is pretty cool. Hello, everyone. I'm David Kay, a.k.a. the voice of Professor X from that old series, X-Men Evolution. And you're listening to Gundam at MAHQ. Logan? Logan, where is Storm? Tell her to come for tea. back to Gundam at MAHQ. You're listening to episode 147, where we sat down and we reviewed the hell out of Transformers Age of Extinction. Transformers 4, the fourth one, man. I can't believe we've come well, that not, far. It's, it's not Transformers 4. It's just Transformers Age, Age of, of Extinction. Extinction. All childhoods. Yeah. What, it, what it is, though, is the micro. There's no numbers. Survey does new. Hey, I stopped numbers after Bad Boys 2. <laughs> What I think it? he realized, like, this is the greatest action-adventure movie of all time. I cannot number any of my next movies because cause if you really look at it, none of the Transformers have a number in them. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, we got to chill. We got this experience yet again, another Sir Bay joint. It, was felt, oh, yeah. it felt good. Classic, classic. And uh, shout-outs to our special guests that helped to review that with us as well 
as the sixth volume of Gundam The Origin. Uh, yet another volume has graced our graced our desks and our mailboxes, and uh, it was an awesome volume, man. If you haven't picked up Gun of the Origin, good news for you is the first volume. It's definitely available out there, so you should definitely pick that up whenever you have time. And um, if you're looking for um, copies, just uh, sh- make a sh- uh, just go on uh, Amazon and uh, look up Gun of the Origin. There's a uh, you can get. Oh, you go, you go, go, go right quite a places. Oh yeah, uh, Barnes and Nobles has a lot of them too now. That is too, true. So. Brick and mortar uh, bookstores carry the book now because it's so popular. So if you're a Gundam fan or if you never experienced uh, Universal Century, it's a great place to start. Definitely check that out when you have time. But uh, before we close this episode out, you guys know what time it is, man. It's time we go over to the post office, rip open some mailbags and get to work, man. It's the Gundam mailbag. Just to let you guys know, um, if you guys ever have any uh, submissions you want to make over voicemail, you're more than welcome to do that at any time and when you call this number. 305-792-8324. That's our that's the MAHQ Google Voice line and when you call it if you're going to be leaving a question or a statement or a message for Gundam at MAHQ make sure to say at the beginning of the recording that this recording is for Gundam at MAHQ. Also make sure to write down your reply or your question before you make the phone call because you want to make yourself sound as good as you can when you record the message. Take those steps and you'll always have a solid submission to make on the voicemail and many thanks to those that do but our first question is not a voicemail it's actually a question from the boards our gundam at mhq uh mailbag uh thread that's up at mechatalk.net if you go to mechatalk.net to the gundam section uh we have a mailbag thread you can submit messages there and our first submitter is from colt classic and he writes hey gundam crew ever since the tournament started in gundam boyfriend I've heard nonstop about how good the fights are. Do you think that the uncoupling of pilot and mecha in build fighters has allowed for more brutal combat? That's a very good question. Um, I, w- I would say I would say a resounding yes. There w- at, at the point at the time that you wrote this le- this uh, this message, the show was going on. But now we can look at it in retrospect. And yeah, some of the fights in that show, if there were pilots inside the gunpla, they'd be dead ten times over. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. uh, yeah. but I mean, uh, it only mm-hmm. makes sense. No, I was just saying it, it would only make sense. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I, I would say I would say that. Uh, but it's cool because uh, the premise allows for unhinged mecha fights. And granted, uh, some of us, some t- at times when I watch the show, I just wonder how brutal it would be for the pilot if they're inside those uh, those gun plots. But uh, thankfully, that's not the case, and we'll be able to see more of that in season two. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Any thoughts, Neo? Any thoughts at all? No, I, I mean, I, I think it's probably a valid point. Plus, they're able to reinforce the gunpla we've seen with, you know, glue and different things like that, too. So, you know, it, it probably gives the perception of a lot more brutal combat. So, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Colt Classic, for the submission. And now we move on to Fear Junkie. And he writes Neo, it's time for you and Jabman025 to settle things once and for all. I propose a chess boxing match between you and the Defender of Destiny to end your feud. If you win, then Jabman must abandon his title and the duty of Defender of Destiny. If Jabman wins, then you must say one nice thing about Gundam Seed Destiny every episode. Oh, but that would kill you. <laughs> I just Well, you could just say the same thing. What, what would He's that not mean? saying I need to say one new thing every episode. Just one thing. But, mm-hmm. um, hmm. Well, first off, to have a feud or anything like this, it means that the parties are on equal footing. 
and we know that we're not. Um, Jabman has been defeated by me countless times, and so this would just be a big waste of my time and just more humiliation for Jabman. So. Oh. <laughs> but thank you for the question. I would I would like to see the chess boxing match, man. Damn, damn. Well, well, if anything, uh, to be continued, Fear Junkie, and thank you for thank thank you for your submission, man. One of these days, we'll have these two hash it out. I can't. I, wait. I, I actually think Jabman's probably dead. We haven't heard from him in forever. Oh, actually, Jabman plays with us at EX versus the Gundam Nation. Shout outs to Jabman. He uh, he shows up and he uh, he throws down with us every once in a while. So uh, I look forward to seeing him the next time we get together. But uh, next up is a submission from Furious Rodimus, one of our longtime listeners, and he writes. If you could trade characters from one Gundam show to another, who would you trade and why? Who would you trade between franchises? Are there some shows that you would trade away multiple bad characters to get one good character? (laughs) Are there shows you would punish with more bad characters while saving the good characters, etc., etc.? What a great question, or series of questions. We'll tackle it one piece at a time. Uh, Starting with the first one. Um, I guess what if you could trade characters from one Gundam show to another, who would you trade and why? Well, I mean, I'll let you go first, Neo. Any uh, any idea of who you would trade? I'd probably just trade. Uh, uh, I actually have to do a one for one trade. Yes. I take it. Okay. Oh no, you could uh, you could you could do. I mean, you could do one character for a slew of other characters. Do whatever you want. Feel free. No, I was thinking more of like just making a uh, one character be a striker and like all the other ones, just mm-hmm. so. You can just kind of mess it up, but nice. I, I don't think that'd be the case. Someone I could trade out. I'd probably trade poor Captain Synapse out of um, <laughs> uh, Stardust Memories and maybe put him in. Gosh, uh, trying to think what uh, where I'd probably put him in. Maybe. Um, maybe Zeta. Maybe uh, take a uh, who is. Um, who was the commander of the Radish? Uh, oh, was Hankin, that was, that was right? Hankin, yeah, Commander Hankin. And maybe trade him out for somebody else out of there just to get him out of that poor show. Oh. I felt bad for Captain Synapse. <laughs> he, he, I really <laughs> thought he should have been somewhere else. <laughs> Damn it. And then maybe I would just take um, Trey's and trade him out of uh, with, uh, what's his face, Durandal and Destiny, just to F with all those idiots in Destiny. Mm-hmm. And maybe make that show a little bit better. There you go. There you instead go. Of, instead of Durando's Masterus, I'm going to sit in my large chair and just do evil evil thoughts and evil <laughs> looks. So. so I guess I would take care of the first and then the second question for me when it can trade between franchises. Uh, would I trade any way, any multiple bad characters for one good character? Um, I'd probably trade out Cots. Uh, and Sarah for um, hmm, uh, Garud and uh, Tifa, or not Tifa? Yeah, Tifa, mm-hmm. just to get them the hell out of it. Now it would be bad because then they'd be in the world of Zeta, and they'd most likely they would die anyways. But anyway, to get cat cats the hell out of there, and Sarah too, because she annoyed <laughs> the living uh, shit out of me. So, um, and are there any shows that you would punish with more bad characters while saving the good characters? Yeah, I'd probably it'd probably be a I'd probably just dump all the bad characters, probably in their destiny or maybe Stardust Memories. Oh wow! What about age, man? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he says here uh, saving the good characters. Yeah, I'd probably just dump them all in age. There you go. And, and get out, uh, poor um, 
uh, Flit, Flit mm-hmm. and then uh, what is it? Ober, uh, not not. Um, oh God, the guy that the uh, the freaking uh, Genoese pilot that had the glasses. The, oh the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Low, the low rent, uh, the low rent captain, uh, Captain Max. Yeah, I know you talk about. It. I forget his name, but he was in series yeah. three. Overthal was the guy with the like the mushroom head. Yes, haircut that got um that had the girl get killed. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'd, I'd probably save them. Maybe, maybe that uh, what was it? Flitz uh, when he was older, the. The kid that was his aide that ended up becoming the commander, he was okay too. Oh yeah, yeah, I forget the yeah the guy yeah. who was uh, vo- uh yeah his his right hand yeah. man in series two. Yep. And I'd probably replace those people with um you know uh probably uh, <laughs> uh some of the people from Destiny mainly oh. like uh Mir Campbell that'd be a nice one to get rid of man um uh who else um. Uh, the um what's his face the 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 annoying oh stella oh mm-hmm. god that bitch um <laughs> so that's what i would do so so bro i gave you enough time to think about what you want to say so go ahead well, i'm gonna just go big or go home man trace man trace you got to get him into the universal century man that's where he belonged that's where <laughs> could, he could, it, it, could the universal <laughs> century survive with trace and char in the same in the same oh freaking my god Dude, I mean, could that much awesome coexist? Dude, to have them work it side by side, they would be undefeatable. And the, and the sad thing is, and you know, I know he gets a lot of crap, mm-hmm. and some, and we give him the name as Low Rent Char, but we give it the name as Low Rent Char as not to be a negative, but just the fact of he's the lower rent version of Char. But it would be cool to see Zex in there too, because. <laughs> Could the Universal Century survive these guys? Yeah. It survived a nuclear war, biological war, and all this other stuff. But it survived that much awesome. You imagine <laughs> the pontification between freaking Char and and and, uh, uh, and 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 Trey's. Like, let's say that Trey's is part of the the Federation because mm-hmm. he does love the Earth. So I can see him being you know all about that. Because you, you imagine them just going, you know pontificating as they're going around in their mobile suits that must be so wild like if trades was running uh londo and, Ta- Bell. and talkies and talkies looks like it could be around for the one-year war yeah i mean it looks like a one-year war suit <laughs> looks like one-year war probably post you know pre-zeta maybe mm-hmm. suit so yeah that, that that would be pretty cool I would say I would say he's definitely a good fit in uh, anywhere in Universal Century, man. Uh, he definitely metal or manipulate or mastermind his way uh, to to power and hopefully it allow Universal Century to be in a much better place than uh than than where it ends yeah, up like at. So Re- Rebel gets killed and the uh, uh, freaking uh, Trace takes over the Space Forces Federation Space Forces. You know what? I actually would put him in victory because Uso and the gang needed some League military needed some serious help. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they needed some help and Trace would have been yeah. that man he'd have got shit done he would have uh, them kids would have been in good hands <laughs> and, and if you're going to put him in the victory then you got to bring over Lady Un because she'd be perfect for the strike team oh yeah right on she would live she would live, <laughs> she would live. <laughs> oh my god but as for shows that I would punish with more bad characters it's the, I'd say the cast of the later uh, chapters of Age are interchangeable yeah. with the cast of Destiny so it's like man Either way, um, it, I don't I, expect I'll it to end well. I'll be honest with you, that later incarnation of age, as much as I give Destiny crap, uh, I got to put Destiny above. <laughs> oh, I can't do that. <laughs> I, 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 I got to kind of put it above it. I'm talking the, I'm talking like, 
last half of second season or second generation and third generation of age with the second half of um with jared uh, springen and all yeah and and then the second half of destiny because i think i got to put destiny a little bit higher (laughs) because as dumb as it was it wasn't that bad oh shit age is pretty bad age age had his problems man but uh yeah i i I would say that those shows could have interchangeable bad casts, and there would not be one. They would nothing would improve. It would just be yeah. a, a cluster F all either way. So yeah, pretty much. There you go. But Furious Rodimus, sorry, Furious Rodimus. Thank you for the awesome questions, and um, we move on to Red Stang sixty five for our final question, and he submits this. It says, uh, "It is the future, and okay. Gun and Gundam has become the biggest podcast in history. However, this does not mean that you are making the big bucks." <laughs> Trust okay. me, trust me. That's that that that's probably how it would be. Uh, you investigate why you're so famous and poor, and find out it's because Gundam's main listener base is hipsters who listen to you ironically. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> how would this affect the future of your podcast? Would you sell out to appease them in the feudal hopes of fortune? Remember, hipsters have no money or go insane. Um, Neo, you would be the perfect man to answer the question. What would you do? I think I go hipster hunting. <laughs> You would you would have a a a, a Gundam convention for your listeners, and then uh, it would just be a death trap for the hipsters. Is that what you're saying? No, I wouldn't even have to set that up. I oh. just have to walk out my door and drive up the 405 a little bit, and and head into L.A. and just and just do a scatter shot and probably kill about ten of them. Well, <laughs> damn, Jesus, that's hipster central, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They're, they're they're infiltrating Orange County, so it's getting kind of bad. I mean, we got to watch out for those. I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what all the the bros here. Are, you know, it's going to be a battle between the bros and the and the hipsters. So, but um, like God sold them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Damn. But man, yeah. I, 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 don't, I I don't know if I would sell out to them because the thing is, is you have to remember with hipsters, the, as long as once you do something or try to appease them, then you won't be cool anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then again, you may not, I don't know. This logic may be flawed because if we're the biggest podcast in history, hipsters may not be listening to us because they might be just saying, yeah, I listened to that when they were small. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. This, this is a, this is a conundrum, but I don't understand how you could be the biggest freaking podcast in history and not at least make some money. Well, our, 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 it it it's it is a, it is quite the stretch, especially yeah. the, uh, hipsters. You know, they don't listen to podcasts, man. They listen to old pod, uh, old radio broadcasts of nineteen twenty. So no, they it, listen. You know. to, they no, they listen to podcasts while they're while they're while they're riding their nineteen uh, seventies ten speech wind bicycle. Believe me, I see it enough. And it, it's <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, nothing like a guy with uh with uh you know with a, a scarf on a, and a, a, a you know rolled up jeans and then the stupid boots that they wear and then the big furry beard and then listening to their iphone on a on a 1975 schwinn bicycle that's the hipsters for you <laughs> well <laughs> they all must die you see some horrific things where you live <laughs> yes i kind of do it's 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 not all um it's it's not all uh, magic and fantasy out here. A lot of it's just very cruel. Well, hey, um, if anything, uh, I'm I'm just glad that's not the future we live in right now. So, uh, no. If, if anything, thank you, Red Stang. Well, I would like a future that uh, Goddamn's the biggest podcast in history, mm-hmm. but I would like it a, a 
least making some money. <laughs> I would hope so. Especially, I, w- I would definitely like to retire from my day job, which is nothing right now. <laughs> so I could do this as my day job. It would be pretty cool. But uh, all in due time, and Red Stang 65, thank you for uh, at least entertaining us with, uh, with, with future prospects, <laughs> sir, and for your submission. I really appreciate it. But uh, that is it for the mailbag. We close the door on the post office. And uh, many thanks for everybody who submitted again. Uh, there is the mailbag Dropbox thread at mechatalk.net. Definitely uh, take time to come out and uh, submit your questions and your uh, your ideas for the mailbag. But uh, Neo, man, any thoughts before we wrap this episode up? Anything you wanted to get off your chest? No, not really. Well, I damn. mean, I think um, the rest of we have one more survey classic we that do. we have to finish up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Alien. Uh, Kung Fu Turtles. Oh, I can't wait. And so that that'll be interesting. Hey, you thought that uh, you thought that uh, Rotten Tomatoes went in on this uh, on, on on Transformers? Oh man, they're about to have a field day with that movie, and I'll be right there in the front row seat. I can't wait. <laughs> See, the thing is, is like I've never been a big Turtles fan, so mm-hmm. I I mean I've seen the old movies and I enjoyed them, but like I've just never been um, a big fan of it. So I just I'm kind of like meh. <laughs> hey, I mean, it, it doesn't it, really. It doesn't really bother me. I, I it mean, was. It was there at the time where we were becoming uh, teenagers. So it, when it was when that series was coming out, it's it's the same thing with that and Power Rangers for me. I never really got into Power Rangers. Because I got into Power Rangers. I was uh, I was an adult. Oh, well, you you that's did. Also, yeah, it's for yeah. like watching Ultraman. Yeah, I, for me, I, I, it just Ultraman completely missed chicks. me. Ultraman with chicks. Freaking <laughs> Pink Ranger, man! Come on. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, 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 she she was one of the best things about watching that show. But, yeah, come uh, on. I mean, let's let's um, let, yeah, all the splits you would do, and then um, <laughs> I mean, who was the White Ranger? Who who was he? Yeah, Tommy. I, I, yes, the the ponytail wonder. <laughs> you you got to give it to that guy. That guy parlayed that into a career. He was like in uh, so many of the subsequent Power Rangers. Like he ended up becoming like a professor or something like that. And a and a and a, and a competitor in um, MMA as well. He, oh, is he? Yeah, in real life, he's a, a I forget his name. It's Tommy. Uh, um, I don't know, but uh, he's he fights in MMA. He does stunts. Um, he appears at conventions, all sorts of stuff. So he is. Uh, he's still he's still holding it down. Um, and I think, as the rumors have it, now that they're be, now they're working on a a new live action. Um, Power Rangers movie, or, or I wouldn't say live action. It was always live action, but a new Power Rangers movie coming out sometime in the coming years. Host, he's probably gonna make an appearance in that too, as far as we know. So, if anything, you can't God, stop it. You imagine Megazord is big budget, man? That'd be yeah. freaking awesome. That's crazy. Jason, Jason David Frank, that's his name. That's yeah. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that. If anything, uh, Power Rangers was something to slip by me. I actually got into Turtles quite a bit when I was uh, when I was coming up, but uh, I didn't really watch the show all that much um, as it as it continued to go. On throughout I just the, remember the, the I remember the comic books more. Yeah, and the comic books were a lot more adult than I remember the cartoons being. Yeah, they were the kind of a spoof on um, Marvel Comics and, and Daredevil and the Frank. And, <laughs> yeah, and the Frank. Uh, what's his Frank name? Miller Frank Miller stuff. Frank Miller stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like a, a parody of that. And it's funny how it started out as a parody of Frank Miller and it turned into a franchise that superseded anything Frank Miller's done except for Batman. So. <laughs> <laughs> who knows but uh if anything uh thank you guys for listening to this episode of gundam at mahq when you have time check out these websites head on over to where the magic happens mahq.net 
Visit there for reviews of many mecha-related animes and manga series. Also join the conversation at MAHQ's official forums at mechatalk.net, where you can find forums for this show and other MAHQ and Shinjuku Station podcasts. There you can comment on the thread for this episode or others and submit questions for future podcasts. If you're looking for previous episodes of Gundam at MAHQ, look no further than Gundam.net, where you can also find information on all of our previous episodes. Also find us on iTunes by using the keyword Gundam, and make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. After listening to our show, your next stop should be Chaos Theater, MAHQ's podcast that focuses on other facets of nerddom outside of Mecca. Hosted by the webmaster of MAHQ, Gundam's own Chris Guanche, and the pedal bear of the South, Tomopop's own Pedro Cortez. You can tune into the show at chaostheater.blogspot.com and on iTunes by searching for Chaos Theater. Don't forget that we're also on YouTube, where you can not only find our previous episodes, but extra content as well. Subscribe to these channels when you have time. YouTube.com slash Gundam MAHQ. YouTube.com slash Chaos Theater MAHQ. YouTube.com slash Fighters Ready. YouTube.com slash Shin Station Fight Tube. And YouTube.com slash Shinjuku Station. Last but not least, make a beeline to Shinjuku Station's home for live streaming. That's tinyurl.com slash Shin Station. Every week we stream live with anime commentaries like Shoji Ramaro's Anime Movie Night and live podcasts like our new show, Barbecue Night. Don't sleep. Head on over to tinyurl.com slash Shin Station and follow us to keep up with all our future live streams as well as archives of our most recent sessions. And that is it for this episode of Gundam at MAHQ episode 147. We'll see you guys next time. Shut up, Blur! Out of all the Autobots to survive. Me. This is all your fault, Rodimus. Great! Who else is still with us? Yo, this is Blaster Blaster at you. Don't you worry, Jack. You know I got your back. How you doing, Prime? Blaster. Aw, shit. What's up, you motherfucker? Yo, what's the happen? It's been about a minute since I've seen you. For sure. Now that's what I'm talking about. Now who else? Hey, Brian, it's me, Bumblebee. Bumblebee, my small little friend. You look different. Yeah, I just got totally rebuilt. I feel better than ever. I feel like a gold bug. <laughs> and that's who you'll be from now on, Bumblebee. Gold bug. <laughs> wow, thanks. Uh, gee, Optimus, uh, I was kind of thinking I could still be called Bumblebee. Quiet, Goldbug. Shut, Shut up now, Optimus. Optimus. <laughs> Don't let it bother you, kid. Wish I could feel like a Goldbug at my old age. I feel like a piece of shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's who you'll be from now on, Cup. Shit piece. Uh, I don't know about that. Shit piece. Goldbug. Organize a strike team immediately. Blaster, you'll hang out with me. Gundam at MAHQ is a Shinjuku station and MAHQ.net joint.
the third episode of Escape to the Movies way back in 2009 was Transformers 2 Revenge of the Fallen. It was unquestionably the most popular of the early reviews, and by all accounts it was a lot of people's favorite and probably had a lot to do with how I came to build my successful career as a film critic, which is why I always feel a little guilty that it's no longer an episode that I really care that much for. I stand by the opinions and emotions expressed in that moment as being genuine in that moment, don't get me wrong, but I no longer agree that the show-off hyperbole was really the best approach, and I expanded my dislike of the movie outward into making rude and presumptuous remarks, mainly just name-calling really, about director Michael Bay, a man I've never met, and regardless of how bad I thought the movie was, certainly didn't deserve the personal invective that I threw at him. No two ways about it, that was me being childish and unprofessional, and I owe Michael Bay an apology in that regard. It happens. In any case, there's a new Transformers movie currently sitting atop the worldwide box office, and that means my fellow film critics are partaking in the semi-annual tradition of doing what I now regret doing in my review of Part 2, turning out alleged reviews that are actually closer to A, shticky comedy routines about how bad Transformers movies are written exclusively for the amusement of other film critics, or B, long-form rhetorical tar and featherings of Michael Bay himself, who at this point exists as far as some observers of popular cinema are concerned not as a filmmaker, but as an effigy, supposedly representing not only the dislikable qualities of his own work, but the sum total of everything supposedly wrong or anti-artistic or flat-out evil about modern Hollywood. To write the dozens upon dozens of obligatory, same-sounding, recycled, surface-level readings of Michael Bay's filmography as a line graph of a medium's moral decay that apparently must accompany the release of a Transformers movie is an act of symbolic ritual catharsis by which film journals stuff an aging, lanky, surfer-dude pinata with their own personal gripes and hang-ups about modern movie-making and then work it over like the Skeksis at Trial by Stone to see whose wax can draw the most traffic. And it's really tiresome at this point, guys and gals, it really is. Now let me be perfectly clear here, I'm not here to defend Michael Bay, or his movies, only two of which I'm comfortable saying are legitimately great films in their own right, and I'm not looking to minimize those who express concerns about the troubling meanings and messages, both explicit and implicit, that seem to permeate his work and the work of other filmmakers like him. We've all got a right to our opinions, and if your opinion is that Michael Bay is the devil, well, fine. My question is, why? Why this guy? Why this specific filmmaker? It's not like he makes the worst movies. Okay, maybe he made one of the worst movies, but I've seen plenty of movies worse than Revenge of the Fallen. Hell, I've seen two movies that are worse than that this year, and it's only July. I've heard it argued that it's not so much movies he makes as the way he makes them, that the pervasive Michael Bay aesthetic in terms of visual, style, tone, recurring themes are kind of a toxic brew in their own right that's poisoning the cinema itself. Well, in a manner of speaking, that's one of the reasons I'm inclined not to dismiss him out of hand. I don't know that Michael Bay is a genius, whatever that means in this context, but I am pretty sure that he's not a hack or boring or interchangeable. He has an identifiable aesthetic and a quantifiable voice that's clear enough for people to endlessly analyze and study, and to me, that's an artistic argument in his favor, regardless of how I'd appraise the actual voice. Besides, what are the elements of Bay's aesthetic that are so allegedly toxic? What are the cinematic crimes of Michael Bay? Filling his movies with gratuitous, over-the-top action just because he can? Film nerds in the 80s and 90s wanted to put a medal on John Woo for doing the exact same thing. Relentlessly juvenile sense of humor present regardless of genre or scenario? Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson say hi. He drastically alters established characters and franchises to be more in line with his own particular set of hang and fixations? Well, okay, but you'd better also issue a warrant for Christopher Nolan, Francis Ford Coppola, Guillermo del Toro, Stanley Kubrick, David Lynch, Hayao Miyazaki. He overuses teal and orange color grading? Ah, hey, somebody can Google color theory. Look at that. It's blatantly obvious that the sleazy, nasty stuff he has his bad guys do is meant to be titillating and cool for the audience as well. Uh, every horror movie ever, paging every horror movie ever. He objectifies female characters in a manner so specific and narrowly defined in its fetishism, it's creepy. Hitchcock did that. Hell, they made a movie about Hitchcock doing that. Hitchcock made a movie about Hitchcock doing that. No less than Jean-Luc Godard once said that the history of cinema is guys taking pictures of their girlfriends. Goofy ethnic stereotypes, casual misogyny, phobias of every conceivable stripe, rampant appeal to consumerist power fantasy, not really in short supply in the rest of this town. I'm not looking to equate Bay with that roster of mostly superior filmmakers, just illustrating a point. The supposed sins of Michael Bay are, by and large, the sins of Hollywood. Period. So why do we single out this one filmmaker as the whipping boy to take the lashes on behalf of everyone and everything else? Is it because he's guilty of every alleged crime against all that is good and they 
Landfall makes the biggest target, or is it simply that he makes it easy by billing all villains to all people? It's hard to think of an interesting body that doesn't have something to revile about him. He's a racist because of skids and mudflap, but actual racists probably hate the two black cops killing KKK guys in Bad Boys 2. A sexist because he likes to shoot leggy models from low angles, but also a brutal satirist of musclehead culture and pain and gain. He's been called a militaristic fascist, a decadence violence pornographer, a defiler of childhood memories, and an overgrown child himself. Fanboys who hate the live-action films of Dunder the Transformers and quote-unquote serious cinephiles who hate that there are live-action Transformers movies in the first place are united by their hatred of Michael Bay. Hell, after a while, it's not hard to imagine that you could parachute into Iraq, stand at the center of a Sunni Shia Kurd firefight, and get everyone to just take a break for a minute based on their shared mutual agreement that Armageddon kind of falls apart once they get to the asteroid. In fact, it seems like the only people who don't actively hate Michael Bay are the millions of average everyday moviegoers who've turned the majority of his films into the biggest box office smash hits of all time. And that, I think, is the real answer here. I have no problem believing that the vast majority of film critics and journalists and commentators hate Michael Bay movies, but I don't think this semi-annual deluge of carefully timed hit pieces is really about Michael Bay at all. It's about Michael Bay's audience, aka the mainstream majority of American moviegoers. But you're not supposed to say that. A critic is never ever supposed to put the blame for bad movies succeeding and good movies underperforming where it belongs. Not on Michael Bay, but on the god-awful taste of Michael Bay's America. You're not supposed to say that John and Jane Q. Public themselves are responsible for the wretched state of movie going today. You're supposed to be part of the public. You're supposed to be on their side. You're supposed to give the audience, aka your hoped-for readership, the benefit of the doubt. That Hollywood is underestimating them, and that if only the corporate studios would make it available, they'd order the grass-fed filet mignon over the Big Mac. But it's just not true. Michael Bay doesn't have a gun to anyone's head making them go to his stupid robot movie. They're going to the stupid robot movie because they want to. All Michael Bay and every other junk blockbuster titan that came before him or will come after him is doing with the Transformers movies is making a tidy living serving up slop to the hogs because the hogs love their slop. And I'm tired of watching the film press act like it's the other way around when they all know better. Michael Bay is not the problem. The audience is the problem. The debased and backward-slipping, ignorance-worshipping culture from whence the audience springs is the problem. We're the problem, and I include myself. Michael Bay, he's just the guy bringing the problem its next order of french fries. I'm Bob, and that's the big picture.